Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, come in, Mr. Percy. Sit down, sit down, sit down. No, 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 not on the rubber effigy of the founder of the school, Mrs. Winkle Fart Follamew, but on a chair. Any seat in particular? One with four legs and a seat. Damned if I care, I have a growth on my neck and it keeps whispering in my ear to kill another one. So be quick, will you? May I take the pink alligator skid one with a picture of the queen giving an inappropriate fascist salute on it, headmaster? You can sit on it, you repugnant fuck goblin. You may not take it. Thanks, headmaster. That's a very interesting choice, Mr. Percy. That was gifted to me by the parents of a boy I once shot for having too much red rope licorice in his hair. What? You shot a boy, headmaster? Yes, you see, I was never good at matching the punishment with the crime. Always had the damnedest problem with that. Probably this growth on my neck. It mutters a lot all day about purchasing razor wire. I can remember when I gave a particularly bulbous and spotty child 50 whips of the lash for eating too much mashed potato. But in the same hour, a boy who had defecated in my wife's handbag and had called the cooker rancid slut was made head boy and given a scholarship to Cambridge. <laughs> I seldom get it right. I don't know. Well, that sounds a bit extreme, headmaster. Oh, don't worry. It wasn't a very prominent college in Cambridge. It was one of those small, arty colleges, all lesbians and poetry. I meant the whipping. A boy doesn't know who he is till he's taken a few lashings, naked as the day he was hatched in front of a visiting African dignitary on International Recognise a Foreigner Day. I'm beginning to think I called this meeting by mistake. No, no, speak up, man. I haven't got all day. It seems this growth on my neck is urging me to strangle Quinton Hogg. Quinton Hogg, the Shadow Home Secretary from April 1966 to June 1970. I presume so. The growth rarely gives specifics. Well, he's already dead. He died in 2001. Well, maybe I've already strangled him then. I can't keep up with everyone I've garroted, Mr. Percy. I'm a busy man. I'm not like you corduroy types with your swanning about, bags of nuts and anus fetishes. I have a school to run. So why don't you tell me what you're doing here, and quickly... Well, actually, I think I'm okay, Headmaster. I'm sorry, this has all been some sort of terrible mistake. Nonsense, man. Spit it out, as my grandfather used to say before I set him on fire for talking during points of view. A knife is only as sharp as a neck you cut open with it. (laughs) He was the MP for Bath, which was ironic, really, because he seldom washed. He said that way he could blend in with vagabonds, homeless types, ruffians, you know, the sort. They always knew where the best orgies were at, apparently. Fabulous man, my grandfather knew all the words to God save the stoat. You see, you've got me reminiscing now, Mr. Percy, and we're wildly off topic again. Mr. Percy? Mr. Percy? Dash it all, he seems to have scurried out. Such a nice young man, too. I did like his cardigan. It would have made a fetching noose. Anyway, better go through to the kitchen, see if those little girls have done sauteing. (laughs) 
That was a clip from British Education, the best in the world, a new four-part documentary series hosted by Ben Elton, whilst being dragged behind a London bus and an old milk crate wearing nothing but sweaters donated from breakfast TV presenters and people who like to touch each other's bottoms in parks at dawn. And now on Radio Flange Goblet, it's the After Movie Dino, which this week comes from right up your left nostril, a charming bring-a-hat-and-a-baguette joint on the Tottenham Court Road, where all the meat is specially prepared in the cheeks of disgraced Liverpudlian flautists. Sorry about that. Um, yes, hello, and welcome to uh, this episode of the After Movie Diner. Isn't it all fabulous? Why, yes, it is, Mildred. Um, on this episode, it's very interesting. We're going to go over to the diner right now and talk about this independent horror film out of Britain called The Trap. And then, at the end of the show, after that uh, dissection of the movie, I'm going to talk to the director, uh, Fergus March, uh, all about The Trap. Uh, and then at the end of that, there's a song. So it's a, like a three-part, four-part, really, if you count the comedy at the beginning, which was ah, hilarious. So it's like a four-part podcast for the price of one. We don't even pay for it, you bastards. Ooh, it's just a podcast then, isn't it? Now, I made a mistake of getting the Philly cheesesteak last time. Oh, yeah, Thank no, you very much. No, it was roast beef, remember? It was like warmed roast beef. There was just some cheese. Warmed beef. Yeah. Which is fine if I'd ordered a warm beef sandwich. Which I could... Um, could you take my beef and could you warm it? <laughs> I would like my beef warm. <laughs> Please? Not hot. Not hot. Never hot. I would like it warm. And whatever you But the do, midnight crave was really good. The so midnight crave. What is the midnight crave apart from a very good unreleased Lee Von Helm song? Is it? No, but I would imagine that's the kind Meat of song life. he would do. Well, it he like would be like playing and he would be like, the midnight crave. You do look a bit like Lee Von Helm. Oh my God, that is one of the biggest compliments you've ever right? given me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, assuming, I would, I'm assuming you're aiming for that. I would love to be Lee Von Helm. Okay. Well then, congratulations. <laughs> Apart from the talent, yeah, yeah. or the ability, or the fame, or the... Um, Passion, what's, what's the inclination, uh, audience, sympathy, likability, likability, <laughs> humanity, basic humanity, basic, very basic, very basic. Humanity. So this is probably the first in a long time of uh, diner episodes focusing on indie film. What was the, I guess the last time would have been when we went to the. The last time was when we were both in Slingshot Cops. And we just. Hey, I was thinking we should do. They, you remember in that podcast, yes. we discussed Stop the, banging the table. Sorry, we discussed the other Druid movies, right? And they released on on, on YouTube. YouTube. They yes. released another Druid movie. So I was thinking maybe uh, we could we could watch that. And talk about it. Yeah, I mean, at I some like, point I in like, the future, I would agree with you. I would agree with right, you. Excellent. Uh, yes, would be my answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with a you can leave it there. That's fine. Uh, let's leave it. <laughs> that was not me. Let's Usually it is me. Let's leave not, it there. No, no, no. Um, because, hey, how are you? Good, good to see you. How are you? Excellent. Um, 
Do you know what you have in the midnight? Plane? I'm not sure I know what I want yet. Okay. Yeah, thank yeah, you very much. Just another minute would be great. Thanks. I mean, so I'll much. probably get that, but I, I oh, also but no, you want to prevaricate a bit more. No, I want to choose prevaricate. I know exactly what I'm having. You always have the same thing. Yeah, I do always have the same thing because it's bloody tasty. You're bloody dull as a bucket of fish. No, it's just that I, I don't come here very often, so. French toast. It's a, it's a baby being pressed in the background in a in a sandwich press. In a baby press. In a baby in sandwich a baby press. press. In a baby sandwich. Oh. A small one. Or a sandwich. Very baby. small. Sandwich one. your baby. We've all seen the adverts. We're sandwich <laughs> your baby. It's so much fun. All you need is a greasy bath. Is your baby too not flat? <laughs> <laughs> Does your baby still have lumps? Yeah. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> You're doing your baby wrong. Get your baby sandwich press. Yeah. Now. Sandwich your baby. Everybody loves a two-dimensional baby. <laughs> Impress your friends. Oh, see, you should be in marketing. Yeah, only if I can tell marketing departments exactly. Right, I'm going to get a midnight crate. I'm going to get a midnight crate. Do you know what I saw this week? What? Well, you know how I have an issue with the word wellness. Have we discussed this? Maybe. Because it's a made-up bullshit marketing term that means nothing. And when people say health and wellness clinics, the word wellness is just completely superfluous. Health is fine. We don't need wellness as well. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't even try and justify it. You're wrong. However, when I was... You are, because wellness no, is I'm a just, completely irrelevant no, word. I'm it's to... someone who looked at illness and went, hmm, I wonder if we can make an opposite. But it's Thank fine. you. Thank you for interrupting him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I... That's appalling and, and, and wonderful at the um, same time. Can I get the Midnight Crave um, on, um, on a hero? That. Thank you. Very Thank you. Very much. And I'm going to go for the popcorn shrimp. And can I also get um, the... Do you call them disco fries here, but the cheese and gravy? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm open over a mozzarella. Uh, mozzarella. Mozzarella disco. And uh, can I get a cup of chamomile tea? Sure. Thank you very much. And I'm good with water. Sure. Fantastic. Thanks so much. You um, well, so what are we talking about? No, no, no. Um, just to finish up. So, oh, the uh, trap. We were talking about the trap. We were talking about how marketing is bollocks. Um, so Harry's... Uh, shaving emporium whatever they are mm -hmm. they're like a kind of indie mine they're like a kind of they're kind of a, a, a major indie or a minor corporate they're like in the, in between mm -hmm. um, they like to think of themselves as hip and indie but really they probably got lots of money behind them anyway they did one of those commercials or, or posters on the subway um, that are like handsomer and like um, sharper -er. And, and they added, like, uh, on the end of every word, which made me want to find their marketing department and punch them in the face. What does this got to do with wellness? It's just another made-up bullshit marketing thing. But wellness, I think, and this is why I disagree with you, right? I agree with you that the sharper row or whatever is just, like, you know, bullshit marketing, you know, to, but on the other hand, it's stuck in your brain, so it kind of works. But... Anyway. No, it's stuck in my book. Like, the Geico ads stick in my mind, yeah, but, but it, stuck, it sticks in my stuck. mind where I'm like, I will never use Geico. Anyway. Right. The wellness is actually a word... No, it's not. ...that has been made up, but it signifies something. And what it signifies is a... Uh, we don't need it. A, ...a desirable condition for people who, even though they're healthy, have money. And therefore, if they've got money and we sell things that make people who are ill better, then we need to come up with a word that makes the healthy people give us money, even though they're healthy. No, no. And that word is wellness. I understand. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm not sick. 
but I'm not well. Right. I, I no, need no. wellness in my life. I understand. So I need these pills. I understand. That set all of four you're, stairs. All you're doing is confirming I know, the bullshittery but, but no, that is. I know, but I'm drawing a very, I'm drawing the distinction between the two things. You, thank you very much. Yeah. You said the two things were the same. I'm saying they're not. No, no, I'm saying that they're both made up bullshit marketing terms. I see you're using one that's further along the scale in order to illustrate the, the fakeness of the other one. Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. All anyway, right, then. let us go back to what I was originally talking about, what we were talking about in our Walking to the Diner video, which I do hope everyone checked out on YouTube. I'm sure they did. Um, also, don't forget, it is August, so if you see something, share something. Shout uh, out to Benj, who shared your Ghostbusters article. Uh, he did? Mm -hmm. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much, Benj. Yeah. Um, and Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. So you um, get a personal thank you if you share something. You and I notice it. And you notice it. Yeah. Uh, whereas lots of people have shared things. Uh, that I haven't noticed. Uh, that Jim hasn't noticed. <laughs> and um, You don't exist. You're dead to me. Uh, I've, I've said thank you on Facebook by putting a little heart next to the share. Mm. Oh. You embracer of new technology. I am, uh, yeah. <laughs> I refuse um, to give up the like button. But I'm not going to heart anything. <laughs> I'm not going to do a wow face, and you won't see my little teary face I mean, it, on sad news Here's the news thing, either. right? Even when it's sad news, right? Yeah. Like Gordon Downey. I'm not going to go, oh, sad face. Like, fuck off. I do, no. all the time. I'm not going to put sad face next I to something that makes me sad. I put sad faces on things that make me happy. Yeah, that's fine, because it's stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. It's all anyway, stupid, indie film. But I, but Hang I, on a second. I was just about to finish up. But mostly I see people like Kim shares a lot of stuff. Uh, Doc shares a lot of stuff. Mark Burns shares a lot of stuff. So if people are really aching to have their names said out on this podcast, listen to five people, um, yeah. listen to by five people, uh, there you go. There are some names. <laughs> uh, other names. Are we really only listen to by five people? <laughs> It's okay, but it's quite a lot of money coming in every week. I, 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 want, I want that to burrow into your head just so that you feel that insecurity and hopelessness as you go to sleep tonight. I don't know, I guess just the thought of even more than... Like, sometimes when I'm in a room with these people, they're not listening to me. So the no, idea right. that they would <laughs> like, choose to download something and press um, play... Is... I imagine they put it on while they're at work and they're doing other things and therefore you're really yeah. just a voice in the background. Or they put it on when there's, like, somebody mm. drilling outside. Muttering. <laughs> right, like a noisemaker. <laughs> yeah. Like a noisemaker. Maker. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the After Movie Diner yeah. podcast. We are the white noise <laughs> of You're podcasting. Yeah. Um, put us on to... We're the white noise of art. Yeah. <laughs> put, put us on. No, I've banned all art, remember? Oh, yeah. I've shut down art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've replaced it with just white noise. <laughs> just white noise. Put us on when, I oh, don't know... How Andy Warhol of you. Yes. To replace all art with white noise. Maybe when the, the, when the Spice Girls are playing in the background. And you want to drown out the Spice Girls? Put us on. What are you about to say? No, like, I just wanted to. I just wanted to. Have, I wanted to let them have a flash of what it would be like to live in a world where they did have to listen to the Spice Girls instead of us. Right. Is that what they prefer? Because maybe they now just want to pack it in and go and listen to the Spice Girls. <laughs> I'll go and live in a tree somewhere. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, if you do want uh, your names read out on the podcast. If you see something, share something, and just to... And yeah, uh, you will get a mention, how about that? Yeah, we'll get a mention. Um, uh, like I've said, there are some names out there, other names that are available. Are and Jeff, we can call you. Barry, we, yeah, Celia, we can these call names you. are you, available. If you want to share share something, no, I'm saying... Oh, wait a minute, share something, let's have some share.
she really can turn back time. Can she? No. Okay. I just want to be sure. Um, I want to be sure. If they share something, yes, right, and uh, underneath it, if they want to put the name that they want to be called by, yeah, you know, like you know, Danger Mouse Johnson or whatever. Oh, Danger we Mouse will call Johnson. Them. We will that. call them. Thank you, Danger Mouse. Johnson. Thank you, Danger Mouse Johnson. Thank you, Perambulator Biggleswade. Yeah. Right. Just for sharing. That's sure. That's wonderful. Also, how about this? Uh, if you share and I notice that you're sharing a particular large amount, or if you nudge me on social media and go, look, I just shared a large amount, um, I might send you a T-shirt. And that's true. I might send you a T-shirt. Cool. Really? How about that? How come I don't get a free T-shirt? What? Well, I don't... I mean... I said I would get you a T-shirt, and oh, you were yeah. like, oh, I bought one. Like, like, you buy all my albums, and I'm like, you don't have to do that. I'd give them to you. But you go ahead, because you're so lovely and wonderful. All right. I am lovely and, and wonderful. deep underneath. I'm lovely this, and wonderful to like certain people. Right underneath this harsh acerbic exterior. Yeah. Beats. I am harsh. Beats a, a, little, a little fluffy heart of wonder. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's all good. Facebook heart. Facebook heart. Facebook. Uh, that conversation. But we were talking about indie. indie we were content. indie. Well, this is all. It's all this to do is, with indie content. It is all. This to is do all about. It. It's all like, to do with. This it. is why we're talking about the trap. The trap. This is why we're talking about like sharing off movie dynamics. Yep. It's all about discovery. Things, indie, indie, indie. Promoting indie things. And let us not uh, forget, uh, although to be fair, Fergus is already a friend of ours, but let us not forget that when we have done indie stuff before, um, it's normally lent to me, <laughs> it's normally led to me rather, crowbarring my huge nasal visage into whatever that group of people are doing next. That's true, you have done that. Uh, so I've seen it. Uh, Farley, Charlie and Farley's yep. films, yep. I've, I've ended up just being like, by the way, I'm yep. your friend and I'm going to be in everything you do from now on. Yep. Um, the, inexplicably agreed to. The Baltimore lot, I have now gone down there and gone, you're George Stover, be my friend. Uh, you're Leanna Chambers, you, be been, my friend. You've been in, in a, in a two low-budget movies, yeah. a documentary, yeah. An unreleased low-budget movie. Uh, right. And um, the guys who did uh, uh, Mortal Remains, um, about the filmmaker Carl something or other, mm-hmm. who made that movie that, like, went missing. It was a, like, found footage thing, but they, the, the movie went missing, okay. and they had to, like, dig it up. It's a really good Atticus, I think. Carl Atticus? Okay. I think they the filmmaker. Anyway, um... Really good movie, Morphin Remains, uh, look it up. Um, but those guys want to do a sequel, uh, and they want to put me in it as a uh, Mark Kermode-style um, film critic. <laughs> cool. And I was like, I will be in your movie. You can cut me in half. You can stick a spike through my head. You can cut me in fake blood. I will lie out in the I'm rain. I'm sure they've already just dreamt of that. I'm sure everybody <laughs> listening to the diner has already imagined the many ways in which they would like to see you, Yeah. you know destroyed indeed um so no but it, it, what i mean is is it's not only led to that uh, great friendships oh, uh, great creative much. endeavors look uh, wow look at that gravy yeah. covered uh, meatloaf that is that's exactly what i wanted thank you thank you very much thank you um uh, it's not only led to great friendships and great creativity and uh, um What's the word uh, where you, uh, where you uh, collaborate? Collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today, uh, the trap, uh, and, the trap and the man, which, is, which is the product of um, people we have collaborated with, so, which is what I was. But also, say. people have collaborated with, with each other. See, I was going 
down that oh, path. Oh, you're so clever. You've I'm sorry I got ahead, ahead of, of me. You, I'm sorry. But I was going down that path because you've got your Ben and Sarah yep. is in the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, Sarah Coyle and Ben. Does Ben the go? Neil is his stage name? Oh, no. Um, you've got Mr. Nicholas Payton behind the scenes. Uh, you've got the Lindsays behind the scenes. Okay. Uh, Nicola and Chris. Yeah. Um, who worked on Macbeth, which we will get to. Yeah. I mean, every, everybody everybody that I know in connection with the film, like, personally... Michael Kelly, right. was, to, ...was to do with Macbeth. Some of them were to do with Curtin as well. Right. So let's back it up and quickly explain where it all fits. Then we'll talk about the trap. Then let's go back. Let's not, like, front-load it with all our bollocks. Let's talk <laughs> it's about It's way trap. too late for that. Right. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Let's just explain very quickly where it all comes from, and I think you're probably best suited to do that because you won't. You mean waffle. the history of the trap, or you right, mean the, story? The, the history of you, me, Fergus, Batlock, and then the trap. So we're going to start with the history of us, but very brief, just very to get brief. us to the trap. Got it. Then we'll discuss the trap. The trap. Then we'll talk about Macbeth and Curtin stuff later. But basically, I like it. Look at that. You mapped it all out. Yeah. All you need to know is that Macbeth and uh, Curtin were both uh, filmed projects that we did in London with the people Jim's about to talk about. Yes. Right. So uh, we all know Fergus Mm -hmm. um, from school. We all went to school together. Except me. Except you. Well, he went to school with me and my brother. Um, and, and I would we were show all, up we were all good friends and smoking. And bar. I was, and we were in a band together for a long time. An awesome band, an and awesome. Thank band. you very much. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, you should get lost and found up on Spotify, dude. Seriously. I know. Well, I need to get a hold of a decent copy of it. Yeah, I only have a like third generation CD copy of it, unfortunately. Anyway, carry on, sir. Right. And then we all found ourselves in London after university, around about the same time. Um, and Giles lived in Brixton with um, Nick and Wersey and Jake and like over the course of a couple of years in a couple of, couple of different places um, and they all came together and made Macbeth together right um, and then later we all made Curtain together yeah and then quite a few years after that um, Giles started Giles Fergus. Yeah, Fergus John Wallace, who you've heard previously on the show and who is Jim's brother, and I made a vampire story. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was him, wasn't it? Called Changes, that John wrote and Fergus directed and was in, yeah. and I was in, was good and one. John was in. It is, it is really good. I mean, I wish they'd put it on YouTube. It is, it is a good, a good one. movie. Uh, I think probably John doesn't want it up on YouTube, but... <laughs> Balls yeah, that. It's called Changes and it's about vampire, vampirism and it's very good. It's yeah. sort of John's dry wit mixed yes. with horror. It's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Carol. Um, oh, and I got to play essentially uh, a, a mix between Smiley from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Peter and, Cushing, and right? Peter Cushing yeah. as Raven, I believe, the vampire hunter. You're very good. Thank you, man. Anyway, Carol. Um, anyway, so Giles Fergus, sorry. Um, I get confused because I know him as Giles, but his, um, when he became an actor, way, way, way back, um, his acting name became Fergus March. So he directs, writes, everything is Fergus. So I'm going to try and remember him as Fergus, but occasionally... And if you look him up, I, I believe on IMDb or somewhere, it's probably Fergus yeah. March. And a lot of people that he works with just call him Fergus, because that's, you know, that's how they know. Anyway, anyway. 
Anyway, he became a writer and director in his own right, separate from Macbeth. Oh, in his own right, clever, clever. It's like a play on words. I didn't really mean it like that, but okay. Anyway. And um, one of the projects he did, he was he was working with this guy. And I, okay, this is the part that I might get wrong. He was working as a waitress in a cocktail. No, he wasn't. <laughs> um, he was working with this guy, James Rand. And they made a film together called Peacock Season. Right. That was about a guy. And I could be wrong, but I think it's the guy from The Trap, the head of the thieves. Right. But I could be wrong about that. Uh-huh. Who quits his job um, because he reckons um, he could, like, make it as a stand-up comedian. No uh-huh. problem. And he goes to the fringe to make it as a stand-up comedian. And how, like, not only impossibly hard that is, but... How soul-destroying! Just that idea of oh yeah, I'm funny. I could make it as a comedian. <coughs> the Fringe, by the way, is a shorthand uh, for the Edinburgh Fringe, which is one of the largest comedy festivals in the world. I think so. Yeah, it's a lot up there with like um, uh, Montreal, right? Yeah, I mean it's actually just a festival. It's a film festival. It's plays. It's everything. But it's known as like where a lot. It's of... a big yeah. It's big known for comedy too. I mean, as far back as like Monty Python, the people of uh, Monty Python took Cambridge Circus up to the Fringe. Oh, right. So it's been going for. Decades. Wasn't Beyond the Fringe? Part of it too. Like Alan Bennett and Dudley. I would have said, yeah, I would imagine. Right. Right. Anyway. So anyway, that's the and they made a movie and it was was, it's on. I think it's on Amazon now. It may even be on American Amazon, although I'm not sure. But it's definitely on English Amazon. Okay. And it's got a lot of the idea is, yeah, this comedian goes up to Edinburgh and there's a lot of other. They they managed to get a lot of quite famous comedians into the film because they were only in it for like you know five minutes each um, but yeah and it was good and I watched that and that was really good could you watch it over here even though no no I watched it I watched it back in England okay um, so it's been a while since I saw it but I think I saw it with but English with listeners Fergus. should definitely look it up yeah absolutely um, peacock anyway, season peacock season um, a few months after that because my memory is it's actually it's actually quite soon afterwards um these guys who'd worked together before um, had the chance to film um, at a, a, this location, this deserted warehouse, and they only had like a limited amount of time to do it. But it was a great location. And again, this is the part of the story that I may get wrong, but I think they wrote it very quick and shot it very quick. Um, and I think um, I think it took a long time to finish, maybe because it's only in the festivals now. On my memories, this is like pre... Or maybe it was when I was just coming over to New York, maybe it was happening. Because I stayed with, with Fergus. I stayed on... When I was moving between people's floors, in, when I came back to England for four months to earn enough money to go back to New York to live there, I just stayed... I very cheekily stayed on people's floors. Right. Um, but people love you. Mm. People love you. I think after a week of me sleeping on their floor, they love me a little bit less. Right. I think he was making it around about that time, is my memory. Okay. But I think... They they had a, they had a, a, a small window of opportunity to film at a location. It was such a great location. They decided to write a film and shoot it there, and the trap is the result. How quick was that? Was that good? That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if that is the story behind it, um, and and hopefully Fergus can confirm it, but um, certainly the shooting that is done within the warehouse, yeah, is 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 very good and and. Predominantly, the effects, um, yeah, the special effects that were done within the warehouse were very good. Yeah, um, maybe the uh, rolling balls, the the theme of like 
rolling balls or like mousetrap type things where there's uh, dominoes and like a... Which I think is sort of the, everything is happening is all part of some big, it's almost like the whole, plan. it's all, all almost like the whole warehouse is, is one big series of traps. Right. Um, and I think it's sort of a nod to mousetrap and a nod to other things. Right. Uh, like there are these sort of internal guts of the building that are kind of all rigged up together and it's this big elaborate thing. Um, they may have been shot later because obviously they look like inserts. Oh, that's what, that, yeah, I mean, that's just what They're I mean not about. filled in the warehouse, are they? I don't know. I would. My guess is if there was no need to film them in the warehouse and they were pushed for time, which I'm pretty sure they were, I don't see why they would film them in the warehouse. So should, should I do a brief... Description of uh, what happens. Sure, you keep talking. Pete. Should we? Should we talk about like we do a normal thing? People should see it. I mean, do, do we know how people can see it? Maybe, maybe Fergus can talk about that. Right. Because I mean, we don't, don't know, know how people can see it. My feeling is, I hope he does make it available. Yeah. Um, I, I think people should see it because I think that there is what I found most strong about it was the idea uh, and was the um, the, plot, the plotting uh, like the, 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 the idea that the, the, the concept that multiple things and multiple groups of people and multiple stuff was all going on at once and they all had their own little uh, um, conflicts and plans and schemes and all the rest of it I thought was actually done very well very nicely and I thought that the um, the overall idea considering if it was put together in a hurry as, as, as well is even like more of a reason to love it but the overall idea was very cool it's kind of like the best way to describe it to people is sort of like it, it's a bit like Saw but without the sort of moral judgment very often in Saw and I've only seen the first couple yeah. but someone gets put in a trap but it's because like oh you cheated on your wife and you either have to like do this or pluck your eye out yeah, or something a, like it's more like your your I don't know innocence, seen innocence stumble into haunted house yeah it's a combi- it's a very good combination of haunted house um, malevolent evil prankster trap creator fellow, fellow. Uh, yeah I mean the, it's sort of a combination of those two things. It's yeah, a combination yeah. of like the saw-like trap thing, but with a haunted house aspect. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the thing to like, hopefully, as I say... But let's Fergus go over the plot, yeah. Fergus, yeah. Hopefully Fergus will tell us what, how it can be seen, when it will be seen, because we don't know about that. But for sure... Um, and, and watch the After Movie Diner, because uh, if he doesn't tell me for a while, I will endeavour to update the website. There we go. But I, for sure... You know, as with um, as with Farley, as with miscellaneous plumbing fixtures, all indie content should be supported. Yes, it should, um, especially by fans of the diner, because we are in our you know in our own way indie content, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Disney isn't paying for this meatloaf, right? No, I wish they were. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. But anyway, I'll run through the plot very quickly. <coughs> so, oh yeah, all right. Yeah, because you've done it the last few episodes, so yeah, you're kind. Of- and I think I've got a handle on this one pretty pretty well. Yeah. So, essentially, after a teaser opening, yeah. there are t- 
two main groups of people. Uh, one are um, job seekers, unemployment um, uh, allowance seeking yeah. youngsters. Part, part like a job training kind of program. Right. In the UK, and I don't know what it's like here, but in the UK to apply for job seekers uh, allowance or unemployment, as it used to be called, or the doll, um, you have to do a series of classes. You also have to prove that you're looking for a job. You also have to be helped how to get a job by like how to do a resume and how to do whatever and blah, 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 blah. And so um, one of our group are a bunch of typically sort of egotistical layabout teens, early 20s, um, who should be looking for a job but really have no interest in doing anything at all but sort of smoking joints and perving over their friends and all the rest of um, like we all did. Like we all did when we were 20-something. Um, me especially. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, when the beard was even more patchy and grotesque. Um, so that's one group, and they're led by a sort of Alan Partridge-like, uh, kind of nerdy, Python-esque character, um, Tim. Yeah. who is sort of a middle-aged guy with dreams of being in a band called the Beige Men. Right. Beige um, Boys? I think it might be the Beige Boys. I think it was the Beige Men. Or Boys in Beige. Boys in Beige, Men in Beige. Men in Beige? Men in Beige. Men in Beige. Because I think the first line of the song was We Are the Men in Beige, yeah, like yeah, We yeah, Are yeah. the Men in Black, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, and a nice director cameo by Fergus. Oh, yeah, that's right, in, in the background, sequence. yeah. Uh, but anyway... He's this sort of nerdy but kind of lovable English stereotype type character that you would imagine Michael Palin or Terry Jones would play if this was a Python film. He kept his clothes on, so I'm saying not Terry Jones. <laughs> More like a Michael Palin. Lovably nerdy. Like, he yeah. was my favourite character yeah. in the film. Agreed. Because it's probably not an accident given that, how the film turns out. Right. So... Um, one of them is working in an old people's home or volunteering in an old people's home, whatever. And while in there, an old soldier who was in the Second World War uh, gives him a map that is in the back of a cigarette case, which he claims leads to buried treasure at the bottom of a warehouse, which is set to be knocked down by the council the next day to make like some art space. Well, which they're doing in London all the time. Right. Which you would have no truck with. No, Being because I've shut down art. Because you've shut down art. I have art. shut down art. So, um, the other set of people are... Um, they're not petty thieves. They're actually, like, quite well-organised. They seem to be a slick outfit with history. Yeah. Slick historical outfit. <laughs> 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 Which just conjures up like images of Henry VIII's codpiece, but it's a slick it historical may, outfit. It, it may have done in your case. It's a slick historical outfit. Codpiece is really an outfit, is it? <laughs> no, but the Henry VIII outfit. It was meant to be a joke, anyway. I know. I just it was weird that you went straight to Cox. That's <laughs> is it though? <laughs> is it weird that I went straight to no, Cox? No. Anyway, there, there are a bunch of criminals. One of whom, independently of the map being found has discovered this, uh, that there were two soldiers, Second World War, went AWOL and stole some of the art that the Nazis were stockpiling. Yes. Specifically, a clock, a painting, and a necklace. Yes. 
um, we see in their little intro that they fire a member of their gang yes. for being too slow or too twatty. Um, this, this comes back later in the movie. Yes. So then these two teams converge on the warehouse in which, and we don't know his relevance yet, but there is a lumbering gentleman who appears to be the setter-upper of the said booby traps. Our witless heroes wander into each booby trap, as to be expected, and are killed in a series of grotesque ways. Yes. Very effective uh, filmic, yes. filmic deaths, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if the movie gets high marks for anything, I thought the execution of the special effects, especially the practical special effects, were mm. very, very well done. Um, uh, and it all builds up to a climax where, who is this mysterious, lumbering, bald fellow who's killing people off? Um, who will survive? Who will survive? And then uh, amongst all that, you've got, is it related to the guy that they fired or is it not? Um, the because they fired someone, they bring a woman back into the thief mix, played by the wonderful Sarah Coyle, who is an ex-flame of the leader of the gang. Uh, tension, tension, tension. Will that tension be relieved? Will they live to see the the the, the uh, sunrise? Sunrise. Uh, blah 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 blah. Excellent, excellent, excellent. That that kind of sums it up, right? Yeah, that was pretty good. Okay, that was very good. Thank you. You didn't get sidetracked by, I don't know, it usually takes you a long time to get through. Well, because it's normally we need, we don't hilarious have that, like, Nick Cage to be fair, to make. No, to be fair, you usually get bogged down in what kind of tables there are in every room. <laughs> uh, well, there, there are tables. There are barely, uh, just the thing, with barely any furnishings in this yeah. warehouse, yeah. we are set free yeah. <laughs> from your determination to describe them. Right. But it's. It, I thought... Um, one of the things I genuinely loved about the movie was the while it's obviously contrived because all plots in their very nature certainly plots of genre films tend to be I thought the contrivances weren't um, hammered on the head no. in such a horrible way I thought they were done nicely subtly it was a believable story like art did go missing in the second world war or Nazis ransack it you can perfectly believe the two soldiers Stole some. You can perfectly believe one ended up in a home and the other one ended up guarding the thing. Right. So, totally believable in that sense. A very cool story to come up with at the last minute because they only had this. If they only had the warehouse for, for the time. God, I have got this story right. You're gonna have to be so much at it. It doesn't matter. I'll keep okay. it in or not. It doesn't matter. Um, the uh, ticking clock of the warehouse um, to be knocked down the next day worked well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only thing I think we felt went a little quickly was the sort of romantic uh, subplot between the boss and Sarah. Yeah, yeah, that, that kind of it kind of kind of missed a scene in, in there somewhere where they they didn't get to uh, come back together again. They were apart and they were quarrelling and then they were back together and they needed a scene of them having some kind of like moment of recognition thing. Um, which came after the very cool scene where they were on the on one of the traps. Uh, there was a pressure pad. It's like a pressure pad that. that if you get off the pressure pad, the door shuts. Yeah. And the only way to open the door is to stand on the pressure pad. 
Um, but so it means someone has to stay behind and then you get three tries and the third time somebody gets off the pressure pad poisonous gas looks like it's going to be released yeah and while they're kind of debate while they've made this big they make this I'm not, I don't know whether to give it away or not because it's a cool moment I'm not sure I want to give it away no it is a very cool moment and um, but I think you can yeah? you don't have to yeah I think you can give it away okay um, if you want to put like a spoiler noise around it, but <clears throat> it was cool. It was cool because that's my spoiler this, noise. Up to this point in the movie, the, um, the the band of job seekers and the band of thieves have been working their way into the into the middle of the building. The thieves from the top and the um, group of job seekers from the bottom. Oh, by the way, the reason why the, the one thing I forgot the reason why the group of job seekers oh. are is the guy with the map from the old people's home burst into the job seekers meeting and went, I know where there's buried treasure. And I they all go off. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there you go. See, you missed stuff too. I did, I, I did. I genuinely missed things. And the thieves have separately traced the treasure to this right. location yeah, 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 yeah. through their own work. Um, and uh, anyway, there's a point in the movie with this, with this trap set up where the... Um, uh, the boss and his ex-lover kind of sacrifice themselves for the good of the team kind of a thing and then what as they stand on the trap and the door opens the job seekers all run in one of whom is so scared he stands on the you know on the pressure pad and says look i'm well, i'm not going anywhere i'm not Wait, moving he doesn't know yeah he doesn't know right he's just so scared he doesn't want to move so he goes i'm not going to move from this spot and the, the two, there's a nice, because it's like a moral thing there, where they go, should, should we tell him or should we just, you know, thank our lucky stars and fuck off? And to their credit, as believable characters, they thank their lucky stars and they fuck off. And they leave him to face the like, hideous but pretty accurately portrayed poisonous gas death um, music. Yeah. Um, I just really liked that bit. And, and that was the bit where they... Uh, the boss and the and the girl came back together in order for that moment to make sense. Right. But I feel like that moment actually needed to be them realizing that they wanted to. You know, that could have been the moment where they realized they actually wanted to be together. Right. When the stakes were that high, and then they could have been together after that. But they kind of decided they wanted to be together in order to make that decision. And it was just like it was just a bit rushed and slightly off that sort. But it's like a, a minor quibble, given yeah. that I, all, everybody in it, I think, right, was excellent. Like all that, all yeah. the actors in it were really, really great. The acting, the acting was strong, and I felt like, in a weird way, it got stronger as the film went on. Yeah, that's true. I, I, it's always it I was a little to, bit, it was a little bit patchy before the warehouse, right? Which it's I, always difficult, I think, to establish a bunch of youngsters. And if you look at any slasher, especially movie, like like wasted youngsters. Who were going to learn a lesson because right. they're going to have to be like a little bit unlikable and irritating and arrogant and like right. not touched by the seriousness of the world at all. And I think that a lot of slasher films and horror films in general that have either teens or early twenties as their protagonists suffer from the same thing. Yeah, that's and I think the the reason why slasher films are slightly more successful is because. Um, most of them were made in the 80s and we can look back at it and any slang they use or any like <clears throat> uh, terms they use or whatever or any kind of the way they talk is sort of acceptable with history and hindsight whereas because this was still kind of fresh I mean it's what 10 years old now or whatever it is but like 
because some of the like slang was a little fresh or a little seemed a little forced maybe for those particular people um it was it was a little cringy but i i think maybe that was kind of the point so yeah i cringed it but i would cringe at it anyway yeah. you know what i mean just yeah, because yeah. they're young people and they're awful yeah i mean you're right it's, it's, it's always a problem with that with a there's always a problem with any horror film, getting them into the place they need to be for the horror film to start happening. Right. And I felt like before they got into the warehouse, it was a bit, can we get to the warehouse, please? But right. as soon as they did get to the warehouse, it really kicked in really nicely. Yeah. And the pace the pace lifted, the characters, and how I, they had things to respond to that were real, including each other, and it worked really well. Yeah, and there was less emphasis on, you know, it's difficult. There, there had to be a sequence at the beginning where they're all in this right. job office, where they're all talking with each other, which kind of establishes who they all are. The pervy stoner, the... Shallow wannabe sort of, famous girl. Yeah, the shallow wannabe famous girl. The the kind of hip, I'm too cool for this uh, yeah. woman. And then the, um, I think the nervous, or he turns out to be nervous, but trying to be cool. Yeah, that was quite good because he, because I, I, I did enjoy that because he looked like he was going to be the lead of the of the movie initially. He was the one that got most of the lines in the job centre thing. He was the one that like the rest of the group were kind of like responding to. He was on. It seemed to, for one of a better word, be like leading the pack, as it were. And for him to go completely to pieces in the warehouse almost straight away yeah. and become like a big scaredy cat girl worked really well at like shifting that dynamic to the point where. Like this, this, the stupid stoner guy almost became like the most the focal point of it all. Yeah, I agree, and it's sort of a nice nod. Just knowing that Fergus is a big Evil Dead fan, right? It's a nice nod to the fact that in Evil Dead, the guy who you think is going to be the hero, Scotty, yeah, who's the there ain't no animal in the cellar. That's ridiculous, and blah 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 guy who doesn't care. He dies first, and yeah. you're essentially left with the wimpy, nervous, right. you know, wannabe Romeo Ash left in the thing. And this was sort of a flip on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was nice. It was good. Um, and also, actually, one of the most effective sequences, shots-wise, in the movie, when they first hear one of the booby traps kind of... Yeah, that was great. It was really nice ...go off and yeah. lock the door is a nod to the sequence in Evil Dead 2 where they move all their heads to see the ghost noises as they whiz around the oh, camera. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it goes, yeah. and they go, whoop, down, yeah. and they're, like, looking up in the corner, looking yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did that very, very, very well. And it, was, it was framed beautifully. Like, if there was going to yeah. be, like, a shot... Like, you know, we talked about Cusack in... Um, uh, and Jackson, Samuel Jackson in the fridge. Opening the fridge right. with the cell phone in the fridge. Like, that should have been the shot for the movie. If I could choose... Like a shot for the movie, it'd be the way they were framed, yeah. looking up for the. As and the I ball think it's I think it's one of those things that you see in a lot of indie movies, which is where the um, either writer or the director or the set director or the art director, whoever it is, has an idea about something. Um, uh, has an idea about a sequence. Uh, whether they plot it out before they film it or whether it's just been in their head so much that they know how to film it those are always the most effective yeah, yeah, yeah. pieces. Like, I remember when I did Zombie years ago, college film, never finished it. Very, very... Do you have a copy of your, you know, the making of Zombie? Scrappy. I don't have a copy of the making of. I have a copy of the the um, 
actual film, the rough cut of the actual the make film. It that you did ages and ages ago. So he he made this movie called Zombie, right? To help fund Macbeth. To help fund Macbeth. He um, did a like a, a half hour making of Zombie where he because they did short film nights. They did short film night, and it was like he was interviewed as the director. He there were like shots and sequences from the movie, but it was more like this like silly documentary about this incredibly stupid film that got made. And it was and everybody fucking loved it. Well, John, I mean, John, John's stroke of genius was coming up with John Nettles. Yeah, the idea was, that me and John Nettles had some few was <laughs> genius. But, it was but no, really, I don't mean to. Do, I just sorry, mean yeah. like I know from first-hand experience. Yeah, uh, the sequence in Zombie, which I believe is even on YouTube, where um, Dan is trapped in the flat and the zombies are attacking at the door, right. and he has to escape to the loft. Because it's written about the apartment that I lived in at the time, and I knew where everything was and how you could reach into the bathroom and get the rod from the shower curtain uh, to prise open the thing, and I had it all in my head, like how I would do it oh, yeah. and how I would piece it together. That remains still like one of the most effective things I ever filmed in terms of like the set piece. And that's what blew my trumpet because it's only effective in terms of like the rest of the movies. Yeah, awful. he's talking to me, and I've seen the rest of the movie, so he's not blowing his own trumpet. No, I'm not at all. There's no trumpet to blow. No, there was a distinct <laughs> lack of even a tiny cornet. In um, fact, originally it was going to be subtitled the movie "No Trumpet." Wasn't it? it was going to be called "Zombie" in mark. bracket "No Trumpet." No trumpet. No trumpet um, required. Do you want um, no, I'll be fine. You're good. Yeah, thank you. Very much. But there were several sequences in this where I felt like that's where Fergus really had an idea of what he wanted to get across. I thought the the pressure pad sequence was done nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the um, definitely the sequences where you saw what appeared to be the mechanics behind the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really loved the way those were filmed. The yeah. dark greens and browns. I loved the sound design on those sequences. Yeah. I liked the invention of them. Yeah. So like. Each time you see... It was a nice beat as well, so like after some hideous death, you right. get this, like... Yeah, the sound of the rolling and the look of it and the feeling that... You know, and they had... Some the feeling of inevitability, which comes with all horror movies when people die anyway. Right, but it had the feeling of a ma- of mousetrap, the board game, but it yeah. also had a feeling of, like, some old chestnuts, but done really well, yeah. like the string... The, 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 the lighter lighting the flame which burns the string which yeah, then yeah. sets something like that's an old chestnut but it was done really really yeah, well yeah. Um, so I liked that a lot um, and and yeah it was those sequences that you could really the, the bendy finding the I really liked the uh, bendy finding the toilet um, and then something really bad happening to him and me not me not being sure what, it, well, what was cool about that sequence for me I wasn't sure what was going so on. So let's just back up a second. Sorry, yeah. One of the uh, criminals... One of the criminals, played by uh, Ben Neal, Neal who has, we know, who was great. He was really he good. Was really, he was one of the best things in it, I think. He had really a uh, food poisoning, botulism, something that was causing him to have the shits. Yeah. Uh, and he was on watch... Yeah, he was on lookout, wasn't he? He was on lookout, thank you. He was on lookout, um, and at one point, clearly very drastically needed the bathroom ran to the toilets, of which there were three. Right. Uh, the first one being pretty horrible, the second one being disgusting. Yeah, uh, including close-ups. Yeah, a la... Um, really effective close-ups. Close-ups. Like the... Uh, like, the I did think... Worst toilets. You, did, you, did you really smear shit around the toilet to get that? No. Not on, but on the walls... 
It no. looked pretty real to me. It did, but it was probably brown paint. Or I'm sure it probably was, but I don't even want to think about it because it made me crazy. Yeah, uh, but it was like the worst toilet in Scotland from yeah, train yeah, spotting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the third one, which uh, was meant to be gleaming clean, they even had like a candle going and a little yeah, yeah. Uh, triangle of toilet rolls, right, right. pyramid rather. And, and so he was like, ah, oh, finally sits down but of course as we know in this warehouse nothing is as it seems right um, but, but my point is I didn't know you obviously knew something bad was going to happen but I didn't know what was nice about it I knew something was gonna, bad was going to happen right? but I didn't know if it was going to be like is it going to wait till afterwards yeah. is it going to happen during right is this going to be a giant fake out and then he walks out and his head gets cut off like you know what I mean like you, you're aware that something's going to happen you don't know what it is right and it did start happening I wasn't sure if he was shitting himself so badly yeah. that what was going on with his guts was so bad that he was bleeding that it all tied in somehow. Right. But then for the pole to come like out through his mouth in the yeah. way that it did, did genuinely make me jump and feel a bit sick at the same time. Excellent. Which is obviously like, you know, an effective scare yes. any day of the week. And pre- brought Cannibal Holocaust? I've never seen it, but isn't that the famous... Isn't there the woman with the pole, like, going It's one of the cannibal movies. Ferox? One of them. Holocaust, yeah. All I, I think, know is I the, been, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the picture. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. That That is in, in that movie somewhere. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the tone of the movie because certainly at the beginning, less so during, but in the beginning, um, I was kind of... I was kind of enjoying the sketch comedy aspect of it. Right. It's it's a it's a weirdly toned movie, and it's it's very difficult to do. It is very difficult to do, and it's um, and it again it was reminiscent of me, uh, reminiscent a little bit to me of Zombie because when I was writing that, I was writing it very much as sketches that then I then like laced together <laughs> with a sort of. Are we going to use the word lace? Well, the sort of. Did they lace together? Try to no. I hung them together in yeah, a kind you of... You nailed them together. Yeah. But no, so what I'm Your saying, own confidence, um, which at the time was high. Was high. What? It was okay. What? I'm more confident No, no, now I mean than... confidence in what you were doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, but I appreciated that. I appreciated, like, Fergus trying to put in some um, mad uh, kind of sketch space, comedy. It's like space... Kind of. It was. It was. It, I have to say, it was. It, it, it's. It's. It's very difficult to do, and I'm not sure how smoothly it was. It was pulled off. Um, but I think because I was dialed into it, and because I kind of know Fergus's sense of humor, and I think, I think we're kind of similar on some level when it comes to our writing or whatever. Um, I enjoy. I was able to enjoy it. Um, I think the I think the biggest issue I'm talking about the three uh, as they discussed the three, oh, the three items treasures, of yeah. treasure. There were flashbacks to what those items were and where, yeah, where that were from. sort of self-contained little uh, black and white old film style, or meant to be black and white old film style um, flashbacks to when these things were, and each of them kind of contained their own little joke. My problem, if I had anything with it, was that they were filmed and edited in the same way that the contemporary action was filmed and edited, and therefore it was all a bit jarring. Had those been done in longer, slower shots, 
because you either have one or two things. You can either do flashbacks and lower, slower shots. So you go, oh, I'm in a flashback. I can relax and I can see what's going on and sell the joke that way. Or the film itself is in lots of uh, slow, medium to wide shots and the flashback is choppy and whatever. Having them both kind of uh, choppy and frantic and comedic and whatever kind of made it difficult to really sell those as flashbacks. Yeah, okay, I go along with that. But I liked, I liked the idea idea behind it. I liked the effort behind it, and I liked the jokes because I like silliness, <laughs> and they were very silly. They were very silly. Um, my favourite was probably the watch where it was the clock where he oh, makes yeah, he a clock that yeah. accidentally <laughs> goes backwards, and he's like, and he's speaking some other language, German or something. But um, and there's there's Gestapo, I presume, knocking on his door. And in the subtitles, <laughs> I got fucking work, you twat. Yeah, work, you twat. Or something like that, yeah. which I got a big hoop from. Yeah, that was, I did a, good enjoy one. That was a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, if if there's anything about the film I would completely change, and I will say this, Fergus, with like with all due respect, because it does, like, the best thing about the movie is it 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 does completely coherently yep. cut together. Which, as we both know, is almost really impossible. really difficult to do. We are both we... completely failed where you have succeeded. <laughs> so the fact that you even gave us your movie to criticise is remarkable. We just for, for other listeners of the diner, both me and Crossy have attempted to make. Even short feature-length um, films that, when we watched them back, went, this this doesn't make a <laughs> blind bit of sense. No, I none actually, of this fits together. I actually had a sequence in Zombie where there is a woman trapped in a car, that's right, surrounded by hundreds of zombies. Right? Yeah. The heroes show up, and in suitable space stroke Evil Dead style, kill said zombies. They then grab the woman from the... Sorry? Uh, I would love some more water, that'd be great. They then grab the woman from the car, and instead of, I don't know, all piling into the car and driving away, decide to run home. <laughs> Why? Because when I was writing it, I wasn't thinking. And I, I once wrote a TV pilot and filmed yeah. it that had four lead characters. Yeah. It's not a good idea. I don't mean well, like, no, no, not in that, like but four was... importantly. Like there were like about fifteen, fifteen important characters. Yeah. But four of them were the leads. Right. Completely different leads, yeah. and should have had their own show each. Right. But I tried to give them all one. Not show. only that, but you decided to set it in a period. Yeah. Where was... everyone had to have costumes and accents and yeah, and you filmed it in a pub. Yeah. Where much like this diner, there is you know noise in the so back. So much noise. And then you have anyway, the AD point, everything. The point though, because I'm getting I'm now getting like post traumatic stress disorder from remembering what I did. But the point is So if I have one the, the idea of, the of getting anything together and not only making it work, yeah. um, but making it make sense yeah. is really, really hard. And Giles, uh, sorry, Fergus, you definitely, definitely, definitely did that. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it's coherent a film from start to finish. I knew who the characters were, I knew what they were doing, why they were doing it as well. Thank you very much. The only thing, uh, two things I would say, and I'm sure you're well aware of them already, but um, the uh, the editing, certainly towards the beginning, and even the way they were filmed, because it was a bit close up, but the editing of the filming, certainly towards the beginning, was a little, um, I would say a little anxious, meaning like you could have let the scenes play 
a little more, the shots last a little longer, and uh, pull back a little bit uh, with the camera. I think that's fair to say. And yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think critical. that's fair. Um, I found it difficult. To, I find it difficult to get into at the beginning. I, for me, once they got to the warehouse, it kicked off, and I was really, really happy. But right. I found the the. It's for me particularly the and I'm sure job seekers bit yeah. was it was a bit it was, like you said it was a bit anxious and frantic yeah and I think that it, it's a combination of multiple things and you can completely deny this or argue with me focus when we talk or whatever but it's probably budgetary so in other words they don't have a job seekers office so therefore they have to build they have to like set it somewhere that looks just like a generic classroomy type place so uh, probably can't do wide shots uh, probably don't have a long time in the location um, and also uh, I know as a someone who writes and directs or writes and edits the key thing is I've got to get all the lines done and if that means pointing the camera at someone's face getting them to say the line cut onto the next shot then that's the quickest way you're going to do it. And I would imagine there's some aspect of one or two or all of those things yeah. that play into it. And like I say, it's not to say it's not coherent. It's completely coherent. It's just um, normally the, the editing... Uh, you need to, in the beginning, you need, in the, be, in the beginning so. you, especially with that thing, even in the sense of... Um, by what we were talking about earlier, about like the, the early, you know, the 80s slash effects, oh, whatever. The other thing is, I bet the actors didn't have the script for a long time before shooting, so it wasn't like they could all learn lines and perform the scene all in one. I bet it was just like, shit, okay, you've got the lines, just say this. Yeah, like, yeah. And maybe they yeah, yeah. get two or three lines in one but shot. I, I, think, I think what my. With the beginning, in your Thanks normal um, slasher film, yeah. It's not just about, um, you know, introducing the characters. You also want a kind of a, you know, you want a feeling of menace and um, also, like, you know, kind of a carefree thing with those characters. And it can be quite, a, can be quite slow, you know, um, and, and lazy, punctuated with, like, menace and, you know, whatever. But the idea is, to, you know, to be drawn into it and to be drawn into the lives of these characters to some extent. And the, like you're saying, the way that it was put together made that more difficult. It was yeah. a bit, the, the, as you, like you say, the, the frantic, the slightly frantic nature of it made it more difficult to be drawn into the world, yeah. that, that, little, that little world of, the, that, of that group, that particular job seekers group. And, and I felt like it was more successful in the, when they went to talk to Ben or uh, Eric about joining the gang in that then, kind of like, modern yeah, flat in the modern they were like laying out this yeah. is what the things are this is how it works which must be that like, was like nicely paced and I felt like we were drawn like, I felt like we were drawn into the their um, characters their more. characters and their, and their group dynamic and even having like that being watched by the fired member yeah. like their, their dynamic was taken care of really well I felt in a yeah. way that the job seekers wasn't right as much as it could have <clears throat> and the only other thing is uh, and again it might have been the, the copy we watched or the way we watched it but it, it's something that sadly plagues a lot of independent film and that was the sound yeah, um, sometimes the sound could be difficult to follow. Because of... The music could be very loud and the, the voices could be quite quiet. But again, you're right, there could have been the copy we watched. He did ask us to watch the... Um, yeah, I just did, higher couldn't download... No, we didn't have the space. But it's not just that. I think it was... 
even within the dialogue yeah. sometimes oh. thank you very much thank you very much thank you you too even within the dialogue sometimes there was uh because of the the actor's intonation there was rises and falls in the volume yeah that and, was and, 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 I, and you mentioned it while we were watching actually like but much like filming curtain above a pub which was dumb but in this case, it would have been, I can only imagine, an incredibly echoey location because it was an empty, deserted warehouse. No, no, I was just about to say that exact thing, that a lot of the locations looked, because they were either old English buildings or they were the warehouse, um, were, were difficult. And in fact, the sequences that had the cleaner sound were things like that modern apartment All right. and, and things like the balcony sequence, which I imagine was either ADR'd or they recorded the dialogue inside and then filmed it on the outside. Because um, I can't, you know, with a wind whipping around yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah. where they were. Uh, lovely shot, by the way, uh, Giles uh, Fergus, rather, of the um, London Eye. Yeah, that worked the, pretty well. Uh, His head right in the middle of it. Yeah, that was that cool. Was nice. um, but I, you know, it again, none of it subtracted so hugely from our enjoyment of the film or oh. our understanding of the film. No, that's yeah, that's a good point. Again, you met the characters. We caught up with them. You went into the location with them. You understood where everybody was geographically, which we've seen films where, like, even in Star Trek Beyond, we were like, "Hey, how yeah. did they? How did they get there? How did yeah. that? How did that happen?" So, yeah. like, again, geographically putting characters in the right place and making it all make sense is not easy. And we met them. We were taken into the location with them, and there were laughs and there were scares. And I didn't know what was going on, and I wanted to know who was behind it, and I didn't know who was going to survive yeah. but I wanted Tim to survive you know um, and I wanted the blonde uh, and the, her like friend slash boyfriend guy they the were Scottish very good guy. together yeah they yeah. had a really nice dynamic that I was sad to see him go yeah you know, they had their reoccurring jokes so yeah so that's the other thing about the tone of the movie that I want to point out a lot of like running gags so Ben's needing the, to poop all the time yeah. was a running gag um, the back and forth between the Scottish guy and the, the blonde woman who were um, who, who asked themselves like those kind of odd questions throughout the film like if you fell out of a plane and had to land on an animal what animal would you pick uh, if you had to crap in a hat uh, what hat would you pick um, that sort of indicated their playful yeah but they had a, they had a good they had a good dynamic together, and I wanted. And by the end, I wanted them to make. I mean, it, it was very ruthless. There were people that I thought were gonna, you know, yeah. at least have a fighting shot, and and, and they did. Yeah. Um, but the um, the kills were clever. Yeah. Well set up. Yeah. Well thought out, and well executed. And they had and they had an emotional impact too. Like I I felt when most of them. I'm not I'm like picking ones that didn't, but, but towards None the end of the movie, really like, deserve to no, no, no. I but mean, I, there was the criminals, I guess, where you're like, well, they're criminals, but like none of them had done anything on screen. Like it wasn't like the criminals shot a dog or something. No, like, and even, like, even the ones who like abandoned the guy to his fate. You understood what was it. nice was you were thinking, well, that's what I would do. I right. would, if some random stranger ran in and said, well, I'm not moving from this spot, you think, well, I'll. Thank you, know, thank you, Jesus. See, what I, what I thought they off. were going to do was go grab the dead body, put the dead body on the... on the. Oh, yeah. Because they ran in and went, there's a dead body downstairs. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I thought they were going to get the body, put that on the pressure pad and all survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But they didn't. No. Too far away, maybe? Well, they had three minutes. Yeah, but they ran all the time they were in the room. The people, the job seekers were running. I guess so. I don't think it intercut between them. I think I had the dead body moment. Right. And then there was the scene with the with the pressure pad. Right. And then they opened the door and then they all ran in. So all that time was them running away from the dead body. So I'm assuming it's quite a long oh, way. Okay. Right? Um, yeah, and the, the only other point I would talk to uh, would be the ending. It was a tad abrupt. So have we talked about the movie enough that we can now say... If you don't care, you can keep listening. If you do care, stop now. Yeah. Okay. So if you don't care, keep listening. If you, <laughs> or if you do care, uh, stop now. Um, I felt what would have nicely tied together the ball rolling sequences. Yes. The mousetrap sequences would have been in some way if the death of the guard, let's just call him the guard, yeah. or let's say the final death, or whatever it was, triggered the release of the key. Because the whole thing was, the treasure isn't really here, the key is here that leads to a safe deposit box where the treasure actually is. So, if... Um, see, I would disagree with that, actually. I, I, and I, would, I see where you're going... Like, so that it built up to something. Right, right, but I would agree up to the point. But what I would say is, if the death of the guard was the final piece of the puzzle of the trap. Yeah. So, I mean, like, the trap only works because the guard is dead. Yeah. But the key doesn't matter so much. Like, he's going to keep that safe. But if he ever... if If he ever dies, it means that the trap is sprung. Like, the big trap. Because that's the idea. All of the deaths throughout the movie... Um, were not actually a part of the big trap, of the trap. They were all traps, but there's a the trap that all these balls have been rolling all the way through the movie have been building up to. And if the guard dying, if he ever found himself, you know, Kaputsky, that would be the final thing that would, that would set the trap. And the key, you know, maybe the key's lost or whatever, but what, or, if he's another, guarding the key... Here's another idea. Yeah. His dad set all the traps, yeah. right? Because he's the son of the... Right, 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 right. Dad set all the traps, and the only way to get the key out to get the treasure would be to kill people at every trap to release the ball, the blah, 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 blah. So he's killing all those people so that he can finally get the treasure. I like that. And the final twist That's at the good. end... The final twist at the end could have been that his death triggers the key and the heroes get the key rather than... Their death triggering. Oh, that's nice. That's how I would have done it. That's I like that. Yeah, that, that was that's good. I, yeah, so I see what you're saying. If he'd been waiting for, but then what? He'd been waiting. Yes, because maybe he needs like ten people to come in. Yeah. And he's figured out like maybe all the way through the years, right? I'm sorry, Fergus. We're just, but if all the way through the years he's only ever gotten up to like nine or whatever, do you right. know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like. Like one gets killed and like one trap goes, but like that doesn't work. And he doesn't know. Is it like he's like experimenting with sequences or whatever? Yeah. And this is the year, finally, yeah. like the night before it all gets demolished, that Although, it all seems to be going right. If it all got demolished, the trap would no longer work anyway because it would all be demolished. Yeah, but that's our point. It needs to work in order to reveal the location of the key. Right. So he put. So the... he's baited them somehow. Yeah. He sent the map. Yeah. 
to the like yeah. actually it was him in the chair yeah it was him in the chair yeah. it turns out like you find a wig yeah. and the blokes be like fucking hell that's the wig that was like yeah anyway um, and he sent like the anonymous that's the like, only way the, of, the last piece yeah. of evidence to the yeah. to that's the gang that's how I would have wrapped it up to get, to get them to come in yeah and finally, the sequence gets right. He's got enough people, but you're right. Instead of it being Tim, who's the last guy to die to release the key, it's him. Yeah. And they get the key and they get the money. Yeah. That would have been good. That would have, that would have been really cool. Yeah, for sure. So that's how I would have just tied it all up <laughs> in a neat, neat yeah. bow. Um, the, but we do that to every movie, right? We do that, we do no, that no, to no. every movie. But I think we have, <laughs> we, have, we have talked about the trap the same way we talked about Cell. We've been both scrupulously fair. Scrupulously, scrupulously fair. fair. Um, uh, go indie film. Yeah. Um, what I loved, however, that wherever there was a trap, there was a giant no. Yeah, that was really wall. cool. Yeah, you're right. I really liked it. It took me a while to figure that out. Actually, it took me as long. As bloke did after he did his finger, he went, "No, we shouldn't go anywhere near where there's a job." But you're right; that was really, really good. And the funny thing is, is that it's a good visual gag. Um, it builds the tension because if the audience tweak to it, the next time they see the no, they're like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" Um, but it's also that idea that human beings are more likely to press the button that says please don't press this button yeah that'd be, yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah. the old George Carlin gag isn't it it's like people believe in God but if you tell someone there's wet paint they have to touch it yeah so but it's a bit like that like if you say don't touch it they'll touch it like what's that move oh it's the Father Ted in the airplane where Dougal sees the big red button <laughs> and says don't touch and it cuts back to him and it's like where are you and he's like I got to touch it then. Um, that's that's incredible. Um, but yeah, it, it, that I thought the big nose everywhere. I liked that. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty good. You're right. That was, that was really good. And and the the ending was done in a nice. The series. finger sequence is very effective. That made me properly squirm with the plier and the finger in the hole. Well, what was interesting was I squirmed. Then I saw that it was just pliers, and I was like, oh, okay. Like. I thought he was going to put it in there and there was going to be, like, something really gruesome. So I, I anticipated gruesomeness and I went, oh! And then when I saw it with pliers, I was like, oh, okay. And then I started to feel, like, this, the squirmy thing of, oh, it's going to snap. Yeah, it, it got me when it was like he was twisting his finger out, he was trying to get his finger out, and I started thinking about what it would be like. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it now and it's freaking me out. I guess we should, we should sing a share song instead. If I turn back time, I forget it, Memphis. I have my feet on. So, but to end, uh, I would say um, high marks. Yes. Uh, Mr. Fergus, um, March. Um, a a thoroughly enjoyable romp. A thoroughly enjoyable horror comedy romp. Yeah. Uh, horror. A thoroughly enjoyable horror romp. Harromp. 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 Hurrah. Hurrah. Hurrah for the Hurrumpmadee. Um, yes, that is the after movie Dynacrime. Hurrah for the Hurrumpmadee. Yeah, I do think we should get a poster quote out of this, Giles. I really Hurrah do. for the Hurrumpmadee. <laughs> <laughs> that um, is it. You can't use anything else. No, no. You can it's use that or nothing. Uh, I'll, I'll write something where it's like, uh, two thumbs up, Paul yeah. Ross. Uh, <laughs> 
because oh. it, it would take it would yeah. take Paul Ro- yeah, the, the greatest British independent horror movie. I saw Paul Ross's face and he hated it. <laughs> anything that Paul Ross hates, I would want to say. And anything, but anything like, like the David Lynch poster for um, Lost Highway was had two thumbs down, Cisco and Eva. Yeah, that's the quote. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, because fuck Cisco and Eva. Yeah, seriously. But no, but like Paul Ross uh, would, he would exclaim, "The greatest British horror yeah. film this year." Yeah. Paul Ross, The Mirror, or whatever. What fucking God rag he was. <laughs> The Walford Gazette? I don't know. But, like, what would happen is... The Watford Gazette. The really shitty movie would come out, like Transformers or something, and Paul Ross would be like, the big action-packed extravaganza to end all big. He would be so, careful to describe it yeah. and then put an exclamation mark on the end to make it sound like he was making a compliment. Yeah. So he wouldn't have to feel like he was dying inside. Do, do you suppose that, It's like... an action blockbuster! Exclamation mark. <laughs> Technically, I've just described it, so I'm not dead inside. But by putting an exclamation mark when Paul Ross comes round at Christmas, and Jonathan Ross, who has all the street cred and has all the like, he does the film. Gives him copies of all the DVDs that he said are good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To torture him with his own ill-informed garbage. (laughs) That must like. If you're Paul Ross, yeah. right? No, I, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> why go into... If someone is Paul Ross... Right. Okay. Why go into the same line of business as your brother, but just be really hacky about it? Because I'm guessing he's probably quite bitter and needs money. He's sort of the Jim Belushi of film criticism. Yeah. Although, um, we've seen Jim Belushi do good things. <laughs> True, so yeah. he's not... Who's a really shitty... They've been really mean about Jim Belushi, but... I know, I like Jim Belushi. Have they never seen Real Men or No, I love Jim Belushi. I don't mean that. What is wrong with these people? (laughs) Who is a really bad brother? Oh, um, the Dylan guy. Kevin Dylan. From Entourage. He's awful. Oh, yes. He's the Kevin... Although Matt Dylan's not particularly great. (laughs) Matt Dylan's a shining example of, well, fucking anything. Or possibly of being Dylan. He's the Liam Hemsworth. Which one's he? The one that isn't Chris Hemsworth, who's Thor. Oh, it, Liam wait. Hemsworth is in The Hunger Games and Expendables 2. Well, I know The Hunger Games is shit. Shitty shitness. So I guess I hate him. But it's not as if... <laughs> again, it's not as if Chris Hemsworth is like, Chris Hemsworth's in this movie? I must... Like, have you seen Black Paul, Hat? Paul, what a piece of shit. Paul Ross... Have you, but have you seen Paul Black Ross Hat? is... That anyone with the last name Warburg of film criticism, because all no, I know who he is. Um, who's the? Isn't there an Estevez? There's like no, they're all good. All no, 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 no. There's what Joe, Joe. No, Joe Estevez is great. Um, Sheen's brother, Martin Sheen's brother. Yeah, I thought he was really bad. He's been in a load of cool B movies. No, we like Joe. All oh, right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, no, he is categorically awful, but he's been in a lot of groovy B-movies. Paul Ross hasn't. Who's the really bad Baldwin? Oh, Stephen Baldwin. Yeah, but he's in Usual Suspects. Yeah, but he's awful. He's a horrible Republican religious nightmare. Yeah, but he was good in Usual Suspects. Who believes, like, God wants Donald Trump to ride a unicorn into Hades. Well, that I would like to see, (laughs) Because then Donald Trump would be in Hades. Oh, and how would that be a bad thing? Well, he would, you know, but ridding the world of, I don't know. Um, 
Steve, he is the Paul Ross is, but he's not as bad as Stephen Baldwin. He's the Adam, no, the um, not Adam Baldwin. He's not a Baldwin. Um, who's not Alec Baldwin? <laughs> William Baldwin. Yeah, but. He's the William Baldwin. He's kind of awful, but kind of okay, but kind of awful. What's William Baldwin ever been in that anyone gives a shit about? He he hasn't got a usual suspect on his. No. Anyway, we're going on about Paul Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know how we started talking about Paul Ross. Poster we quotes. About, yes, but why? Like we want to give good poster quotes. We do want to give good poster quotes. So it was. Um, a thoroughly enjoyable harumph Harumph-medy. Hurrah for harumph-medy. Jim Wallace, the After Movie Diner. Uh, please don't credit me. Uh, <laughs> with the invention of the word harumph-medy. Uh, but Fergus Thatchelot, that's what you get when you ask That's it. Us, Nothing else. When you ask us to review a movie, <laughs> this is the bollocks we come up with. But genuinely, my good friend, genuinely... Long, long digressions about Paul Ross. Genuinely. <laughs> <up words. laughs> genuinely, you have succeeded... Where Jim and I have failed <laughs> uh, more than once, I might add, uh, in several ways. In fact, just in life in general, you have succeeded where James and I have failed. Um, and for that, so you should be applauded. Uh, but also, you made uh, um, a bloody funny, effective uh, horror comedy uh, in Britain that I enjoyed. Some good actors uh, under a time constraint and a budget constraint. And uh, I applaud you for it, sir. Well done. Yeah, well done. Good work. Do you want to end it there? Yeah, we just, just end it there. That's, that's fine. You, you put it really well. All right. Well, it's wonderful to have on the line with us uh, this evening uh, the excellent writer, director, actor, uh, singer, musician. You're a multi-multi-hyphenate, multi-talented individual, Mr. Fergus March, and it's a pleasure to have you here on the After Movie Diner. How are you, sir? I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. I'm so excited, and, and please, flattery... Will just make me clam up with 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 nerves. So, uh, <laughs> but it's it's all. I I didn't say anything that you haven't done. You have achieved <laughs> a, a lot in your life so far. Now 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 list all the things I've done with success. There you go. Well, no, <laughs> I I see success is relative, my good friend. Success is relative, and if even one person loves something that you have done, and I know that multiple people love things that you have done then that is an undoubted success. That's the way I look at things. I have to, because only three people listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm certainly one of them. So, so there we go. It's mutual. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. But that, that's, that, that is something, an exact thing, you know. That's, that's, what, that's why anyone does anything, isn't it? I think uh, it's a bit of a, a, a very outdated and very uncool reference, but I remember Tom York from Radiohead way back in 93, 94, something like that, saying if you can just touch one person, then you've... You're a complete success. That's all you've got to do. Yeah. Establish heartfelt communication with one other person. One person in the world goes, oh, yeah, I kind of get what you're trying to do there. That's, that's enough. And that's, that makes it awesome. I, I completely agree. And I think anyone who sort of tries anything creative and certainly puts it out there into the world, whether it's in, you know, in the case of the trap, something like film festivals or uh, ultimately, hopefully, some sort of online release or DVD release um, or that's whether... Um, you put it out there as a podcast or a, or a Bandcamp album or whatever it is, uh, too much emphasis is placed on numbers and not enough emphasis placed on uh, the feedback. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's something... I think that's why I'm kind of drawn to putting jokes in stuff that I do because when you watch it back with other people, if you get laughs from those jokes, it's, it's, it's incredibly rewarding. It's an immediate response 
it's an immediate review, basically. It's a feedback loop. You can uh, use that. It's very enriching, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I, I agree. So how did, first of all, how did the trap come about? Because Jim seemed to think that it was because you had the location and you quickly wrote the film. Is there some truth in that? He's, that is absolutely correct. Um, and, and that, wow, he's got a good memory because it must have been a while since I told him this. But yeah, we, uh, James Wren, who was in the film um, and co-wrote it and co-produced it with me, uh, and another guy called Alan Freestone, the three of us had made an incredibly low-budget feature-length film about the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It was a ridiculous idea, but because we ended up getting some fairly well-known, in Britain at least, stand-up comedians to be in it, it got a little, uh, a, a tiny theatrical release. It was like on two, <laughs> two cinemas and then, um, and then a DVD release. And we did okay with that. And so the three of us formed this film company kind of by accident off the back of this really, really silly idea we'd had. Um, a friend of James's, he lives in North London, uh, and a friend of his that works for the council, the local government up in North London, came to us and said... Um, this Victorian Gothic bathhouse, uh, the Hornsey Road Baths, is being converted into an arts centre, uh, but the process is going to take six weeks, in which the, 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 the place is going to be basically desolate uh, from, from next week, uh, and it will be empty for five weeks after that, and then the builders are coming in at the end of five weeks, and they're going to demolish it and turn it into something new. Do we want to film there? And, of course, we should at that point have gone, okay, five weeks. That's a really, really safe amount of time to write a solid five-minute short film script, um, call in some favours, call in some friends and get it made and have an amazing location. Um, But then we started thinking about all the films we love and and, and mashing up different genres of, of films that we love. Um, and thought, well, let's just try. Let's just try it. For once in our lives, we're going to try and do an entire feature film in five weeks from inception, writing the script, filming it, um, and, uh, and, and clearing out. Yeah, that was all five weeks. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy push. I mean, you'll see from having seen the film, it, it, I, I think it just about coheres. But I think the, the, the thing that I'm, that I'm proudest of is that we made the thing at all in five weeks with no money. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that was kind of the genesis of the project. Yeah, it, not only does it slightly cohere, it completely coheres. Oh, it nice. completely plays as a feature film. I, um, think that's, I think that's testament to, uh, if not to blow our own trumping much, but I think my co-writers on the film, uh, James and Alan, they, they are really, really good at sewing little things in at the start of the... I think it's something that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright do a hell of a lot. The first ten minutes... Of, a, of an Edgar Wright film is entirely plants and seeds and setups for things that are going to come back later on. Often yeah. visually re, re, visual repetitions, gags. We we try to do a little bit of that. Like uh, Raz has that pathetic little knife in him, and 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 someone has the line, "Oh, you have to stab someone a thousand times just to get their attention." And then at the end of the film, you see that knife stabbing someone a thousand times. Right. Um, that that yeah, we we like that kind of loop, and and. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's we, we always say it's a free it's a free gag if you can plant something early enough in the script and have it come back to you later on. Not only do you get to look really clever as writers, but also the audience get a bit of a laugh of recognition out of it as well. Yeah, so, and that was that was definitely one of one of the strengths of the movie was that 
I, all of those paid off. I don't think there was one thing that uh, sort of Jim and I either didn't acknowledge when we were watching it or acknowledge on the show later. I also really loved... Uh, talk a little bit about creating the special effects because I think another success of the film is that the practical gore effects, which I know you and I are both a big fan of, yeah. uh, definitely worked well, like definitely played. Um, so uh, oh, cool. um, talk a there little bit a, about there is creating a little bit of There is a little bit of CGI enhancement just in terms of, of blood. We added more blood spurts to the screen um, at various points. Um, uh, that was a choice from, from, from wanting the thing to be more cartoonish. And I'd love to talk to you about comedy horror because i know you're a fan of both comedy and horror yeah and com- uh, comedy horror uh, horror comedies and, and and obviously we set out to make something like that but let's talk about that in a second the, the special effects yeah i i've been a, I, you know i've always been a big fan of, of practical effects. i've actually always been a big fan of practical effects that aren't actually realistic at all and are just much more fun uh, roger corman's star star frankly like um uh, the scene where the kid uh, Dwayne explodes basically, he sits on a chair that has a bomb in it um, and, and the next time you see him, his, his guts are on his lap Th- those are in no way intended to be uh, medically accurate No, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was just more about just piling a bunch of nasty stuff on, on him and, and, and setting up an apparatus where we had a props guy just off screen basically using a tube that was in his mouth to pump the blood out of the a little uh, blood spurt out of out of the guy's stomach um but yeah i love that like, why would you if you can just if you can make something if you if you i can't profess to be a, a good at, good at making them myself but if you know someone who can add that skill collaborate with that person and 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 have an awesome blood spurt effect in your film yeah you got to you got to go for it you got to go for it and also frankly from a really really selfish potentially egotistical point of view it's much more fun to see the stuff happening on set you know oh, if yeah. you're filming something and you're, you've got to ask the, the cast to visualize what will be happening by the end of the film by the time post-production is done that's not really fair on them and it's much more fun to have a lot of blood and gore and flesh and and, and nasty smelling concoctions on set you know i've 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 made so much fake blood in my life. I, I, I know for a fact I have the best recipe for fake blood. Maybe I'll email it to you. You can put it on your website yeah. um, because uh, I think it should be shared. It's all about green food dye, believe it or not. Green is the thing that makes it look less pink, the blood. So yeah, they hot tip. One of the things we talk about was the, the homages in it, but also the what I called kind of comedy sketch sequences, which are, are especially typified by the, the three uh, black and white flashbacks um, to do with the items that are of treasure that are to be found. And um, I, I thought that was great because it, it completely reminded me, and this is considering how bad it is, maybe not a flattering example, but um, it completely reminded me of my own film, because, again, massive ego, uh, (laughs) zombie, exclamation mark, where I just wrote a series of sketches and lashed it together um, with some pretty uh, awful scenes. Well, you um, know, I'm I'm a big fan of sketch comedy. I'm I'm also a big fan of zombie, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Um, (laughs) But... uh, uh, yeah, I, I um, in fact, I have a copyright behind me, just here in in my London office. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it, sketch comedy is is 
where where we as, as as writers come from live live sketch comedy particularly again my co-writers james and alan they 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 have done a hell of a lot of sketch comedy um which which is kind of what i was referring to earlier on when i was saying how proud i was that the film has a cohesion it has a kind of story a through line to it at least um and it doesn't go veer too wildly off in terms of tone however those there are these three black and white flashbacks at the start of the film. I don't know if you noticed, but the three pieces of treasure they refer to aren't exactly... It's a big red herring, that whole thing, basically. Um, it doesn't necessarily come back into the film. There are clues as to, as to where that, that those pieces of treasure are and, 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 and kind of roughly what happens when the film finishes. There is kind of supposed to be a little story that carries on in the audience's mind after that. If they want that, if they like that kind of thing, um, but those black and white sketches were more for us to set a tone of, uh, well, comedy. Frankly, it's 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 if you if you're doing a comedy horror that you where you genuinely want, we we, we never set to set out to scare people necessarily. We did want a gory film that would make people laugh. That's that's what we wanted. Right. Um, basically, like uh, we, 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 you know, you know, when you're trying to pitch a film. And you go, oh, it's so-and-so meets so-and-so. Yeah. My, my pitch for this was always the Goonies meets Saw. Right. Um, uh, uh, but I think, I think my co-producers called it something more like uh, the in-betweeners meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, but but it's, it's, it's always going to be the familiar kind of comedy meets horror thing. Um, when you're talking about a bunch of characters being characters and then going into a place and getting slaughtered for the sake of horror... Um, we found it actually quite tough to do kind of story-based gags at the start of the film, um, particularly around the, the older group of characters, the more kind of cat burglary, over-the-hill uh, group of, 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 of burglars. Um, you know, their scenes needed judging up in terms of comedy. And I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of a film called Severance. Have you seen that? Um, I haven't seen it, no. I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen it. That um, that has a kind of similar m moment where they come across this kind of dilapidated old building and they tell stories of of what they imagine the building was used for before it was abandoned. Um, the irony in that film, I oh, know, spoiler, it's a good film. See, it. um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a nice, it's nice to take a break and kind of go. Here's a sketch, and here's another sketch, and here's another sketch. I don't think I, I'd, I'd never want to be scared of doing that because audiences have good attention for that kind of thing, you know. And it's a nice, they're nice little vignettes. Um, Cy Spencer, who is uh, who plays the the queen of uh, Prussia, I think it is, or the princess, the most yeah. beautiful woman in the world. Yeah. He, he is a very uh, respected comic book writer that I've been a fan of for a while. Um, uh, he And um, so I kind of asked him to do a cameo in the film. I'm not sure how flattered he was when I told him that the role he would be playing uh, is of the most beautiful woman in the world, ironically, <laughs> because he is a big, big man, a big, bald man with, with, with very, very wonky teeth. <laughs> He's a very nice guy, and it was very, it was very flattering that he, he agreed to do that, that yeah. cameo. Um, the Watchmaker is a guy called Richard Glover, who has been in every single film I've made um, since 2007, um, and he was also in Sightseers. Did you see that? I did see Sightseers, yeah. He's the guy that made the Carapod. Um, and he's also in a field in England and uh, into the woods and stuff like that. So the, the other thing was that those sketches at the start of the film were really good opportunities just to kind of 
have a for the crew to have an entirely separate day of filming with with someone really cool that we could hang out with and, and do some just just some brief jokes with so yeah, yeah they they kind of filled a they had a lot of purposes those those sketches at the start well, i get that i haven't necessarily justified them artistically but, but no hey. i mean I, I i actually i actually really like them and like i say it kind of uh it kind of gave the film its own sensibility for, for us personally for our film it was it was um and this is a really cool thing about being a low-budget filmmaker these days because people have access to little screening rooms and awesome little places. So we, we, took, our, we took the trap in an early edit form. Um, uh, I, I guess we kind of did the, we did the equivalent of testing. Uh, you know, we, 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 we showed it in a tiny little uh, theatre that had a projector screen above a pub in North London... Um, in Highbury and Islington, um, and we showed it to kind of 20 people, some of whom were cast and crew, and they had a little preview of the film, and some strangers, and um, we because we wanted to know where the laughs in the film were and what bits needed attention. And, and yeah. uh, funny enough, those, those, those three sketches had been tweaked a hell of a lot um, over kind of, I think it was three screenings we had in the end, and at each one I'd go off and recut that sequence um, uh, in some cases, make it make it much more obvious. In some cases, believe it or not, making it slightly more subtle. The titles for each of the three sketches didn't appear until that very last cut, uh, and that made a big difference to audiences understanding what they were seeing. It is a weird thing for an audience to suddenly go, "Hang on, what's what's going on? This is black and white, and we're being shown a very different set of characters doing something very different." Um, I don't know. I think I think I think it's just about courage. I think I think these days an audience will stay with you. They will stay with you. You just have to prove that you can tell a good joke in the first thirty seconds or or minute or just 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 at least that you know roughly what you're doing. And after that, an audience will go with you anywhere. Hopefully. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah. And, and again, you know, we come from a sketch writing background, a sketch comedy background. It's it, sketch is a really really good way of of condensing a lot of jokes into a small space. And right. if you can find a good through line between sketches, then you're onto a winner. You know, we were we were lucky that we had actors that that we had some really good comic actors, basically that, that yeah, took you had some material seriously enough to make it funny. Um, you know, and we asked them to do some some tricky stuff. There's a scene in the film where four people have to laugh. It's a sustained laugh scene, and to an actor, that's a, that's just a nightmare. Genuinely on camera for a long time, for like thirty seconds to a minute every take for like six takes. That's uh, I, I did not envy those actors at all. But yeah, you know, they they um they did it, uh, and they did it really well. And I think it's that's 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 part of it. You just gotta yeah. Good, act, good actors are useful for making mediocre material look really good. No, no, and I and I thought that all the performances uh, were were tremendous, and I definitely liked. Um, uh, was his name Tim, the lead uh, unemployment yeah. guy? I really yeah. liked him. He was incredible, especially his sort of facial looks and stuff like that, and uh, his little uh, comedic beats were fantastic. So the. Uh, how is it like putting together an independent movie in um, London? Obviously, you know a lot of people in the industry, and you, you know a lot of actors and things like that. But was there anyone that you sort of went out and sourced in terms of performance performers or actors? And, and sort of what's that process like? Just if there's any independent filmmakers listening, I think as from from the directing point of view, it is invaluable 
to work with people. It, it's great to work with people that you're friends with. However, I the, 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 this particular sorry, I'm being a little a little hesitant because actually the, my experience on the trap, I usually do surround myself with people I've collaborated with before, um, people I'm very comfortable with. Um, the trap was slightly different because a lot of those people, I guess, because it was just a slightly bigger thing than I usually did. Um, uh, we had a lot of. Um, uh, new crew members, a lot of cast members that I hadn't worked with before, but that had been vouched for by, you know, various other people. We actually even um, uh, auditioned um, uh, for, 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 for some of the parts um, and just put, you know, spread the, through the net out there and see, see who came back. Some parts were written for specific actors that we already knew and those actors were unavailable, so we had to find uh, replacements and actually they ended up being as good, if not better, as the as, as our original idea would have been um but so i think if there's any uh, any advice m m the overall thing from the film for me was um be professional i know that that sounds ridiculous and probably extremely condescending uh especially in a, like i've spoken to a lot of young filmmakers they take themselves pretty seriously these days and that's amazing to see but but when you're trying to run a cast and a crew and maintain morale, it's really important that you stay professional, that you, 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 you convince everyone that the thing you are doing has a good purpose. It's because it's going to be amazing. Um, and having fun actors on set uh, <laughs> is really handy as well. This is the other thing. I, I work with comic actors or comedians quite a lot, and so it's not hard to to have laughter on set between takes, you know, but that is absolutely key. It's horrible to be on a dreary set, so just keep keep it professional and keep people laughing at the same time, and I think you'll 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 end up with a really nice tone to the movie. Um, in terms of making the film, uh, do you know what? It, it's it's a cliche, but if you find someone who you love shooting with, as in a direct, if you're a director um, and you know someone who can shoot well or that you can just communicate really well with uh, and share duties on lighting and camera. Um, that's amazing. I was lucky enough to have a few different guys come in and operate cameras, uh, all of whom I'd worked with before and all of whom I, I love working with. Um, but it was really fun to have a really close collaborative relationship with them. And you know what? I think, if, if, if again, advice for someone making their very first film, make, make it a single location. I cannot, I cannot tell you, everything good about this movie came from the fact that we were, we were 30 people. We were in our own trap, do you know what I mean? We were in that building for five weeks solid, pretty much, working long, long days to get something like a film out of it. Um, but that was amazing, that kind of, not to be too distasteful, but that, that kind of Dun that Dunkirk spirit of everyone just hunkering down and going, okay, let's work together and we can make this fun. Um, yeah, yeah, and it was amazing. There was no ego there as well, which was really nice. Uh, again, that might be an ensemble film thing. There was no star in the movie. Obviously, with a horror movie, the cast kind of gets whittled down uh, as it goes on, and if there is an ostensible star or, or, or hero, it's, it's usually the person who's who's left at the end of the movie. Um, but we were lucky enough to have an ensemble of kind of eleven main parts, 
Um, all of whom got on really well. So yeah, um, all these things. I, th- I think. I just, I, sorry, John. I think I'm too lucky. I, I think I was too lucky to be able to give any actual sound. <laughs> no, um, I, I think. I mean, I, obviously, in that short amount of time you had to work with the one location. You know, obviously being prepared is a big part of um, filmmaking in that respect. But I think the being professional thing is, is, I think it is good advice. I think it's strong advice because um, I know when we all first started out uh, making our little independent things, whatever they were, whether they were the short films we've done together or whether it was me doing Zombie or you and Nick doing Macbeth or whatever it was, when we first started out doing those things... You know, because we were all friends and because we were all pals and stuff, there was a tendency of just like, oh, we'll just get the camera and we'll fool around and this will be it and da-da-da-da-da. And, yeah, there was stuff written down and there was some idea of, oh, I'm going to point the camera here and I'm going to do that and I need these props and I need whatever. But I can't ever remember, certainly on my side, um, being particularly um, prepared or particularly professional. I mean, I, uh, there was this. Well, secret- you know what? That might not have been our fault. I think. I think something that Macbeth and Zombie had in common is that they both featured people who didn't actually want to be involved in the film industry, and I think that is probably unforgivable for a film where where there are so many people who do want to be part of the film um, and part of the film industry or to get into acting or to get into camera operating, for us to use a mate just because he's a housemate, do you know what I mean, like a flatmate, um, our our stoner friend who goes, yeah, I'll be in your film, whatever. But I, I I think at least with Macbeth, all of your friends had some level of creativity about them or were actors or were in you know in zombie i was literally using people who had never acted before (laughs) or since and and you know that that is always a day but also i don't know that i set about making that film with any kind of grand idea other than wouldn't it be a hoot to have a finished thing with all our pals in it um but no Mm. I, i just meant that um uh and, and you know, the, 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 there was a certain there was a professionalism about um, Macbeth. I didn't want to insinuate there wasn't, but it's just the idea that. Oh no, I, I fully. You don't have to. I, I'm not. I'm not apologetic about being pretty unprofessional early on in my career. That's how we <laughs> <learned>, But no, just I just think that that, that that is good advice and be prepared as well. And and um, there's something that always rings in my head. And I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, actually. But there's that thing that Bruce Campbell says, that the movies that are easy to make are the hardest to watch. Meaning that if everyone's just on set dicking around, at the end of the day, uh, it, you know, not a good movie is made. Yeah, Adam, I, Adam Sandler has, has proven that over and over again. <laughs> I, think, um, I think, yeah, and, and that is true. It doesn't necessarily follow that the opposite is true. It doesn't necessarily mean that, like, really tough shoots yield great movies or enjoyable to watch no, movies and but that's, there's a middle ground I certainly think there is a middle ground yeah. and I um, yeah, yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's definitely the I think that the truth of the matter is is there's no problem working with friends and there's no problem working with people who you find a simpatico with on set but I think that um, at the end of the day the primary thing should be we're here to make a film and these are the things that we all have to do in order to make that film if along the way we can crowbar in some jokes and some relaxing moments and whatever great but at the end of the day we have these setups to do in this length of time and you know we have to get that done and we'll do it as nicely as possible but it will involve us being professional and and prepared i think right absolutely and if those collaborations go well then they they tend to happen again later on in your career and which is really really fun um but again, I think I think maybe maybe the thing about professionalism maybe there's no. This is something I've struggled with a lot. Is is 
there shouldn't be any middle ground. If you write a script that you think deserves to get made into a film, don't apologize for that script ever. Don't just make it how you want it. If you can please yourself by having made that film, surely other people are going to enjoy it with you. You know, that's that that's the hope. But but I it took me a long time to learn that once I had a script I was happy with, I wouldn't be kind of going around groveling to people saying, Oh, maybe you can make it better by being in it, or maybe you can add jokes to it by being funny. Actually going up to people and saying, Hey, this is really good, you should be a part of this tends to get people to want to be a part of things. Um, no, I, I I completely agree and it's the thing the thing that runs through my head all the time the you know because obviously there was that thing putting the website together was well it's got to play on the internet right now it's got to be the thing that people look at and go oh that's a professional website and that looks good and I know how to navigate it and da 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 so it's got to adhere to certain uh, rules and formats and blah, 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 blah. but I can't take myself out of it like the whole thing I had to keep reminding myself whether it's and the two most successful examples that I've heard talk about it in interviews are Monty Python and the Beatles and that is it's six guys in the case of Monty Python or four guys in the case of the Beatles either writing comedy sketches or making music for them that they believe in, that is their voice. It's not a bunch of outside voices telling them, well, I think a Python sketch would be. It's six guys saying this is what it is. And, you know, you can take that autonomy a bit far and you can kind of become a bit dictatorial with it. And and that has its... You have to be an incredible craftsman, I think, to really pull that off to be a Kubrick or to be an Altman or to be whatever. Um, But ultimately, I think you're completely correct. You have to believe in what you're doing and it has to be your voice. And you, while collaboration is good, compromise isn't necessarily. And I would rather succeed or fail on something that is completely me than mildly succeed on something that's mildly compromised. <laughs> that's such a cool way of putting it. Yeah, that's Do you awesome. know what I mean? That's um, really true. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's, yeah, that's brilliant. You don't, you don't, uh, I think this has led to a really good culture for people like us who make <clears throat> low budget things happen and are excited about independent things happening and fu- genuinely, obviously the, the, the rule of the studios over the film landscape has made cinema, let's be honest, pretty, pretty rubbish. Right. At the moment. Pretty boring. This summer yeah. has been appalling for for big movies, but at the same time, it means there's loads of awesome, awesome stuff being made by people. I don't know. I've done a lot of work in TV recently, and t- TV executives on both sides of the Atlantic are ripping their hair out at the fact that there isn't as much cachet as being on TV as there used to be. Because anyone who's young and creative and, and in the visual arts is going to go straight to something like YouTube, Vimeo. And, and, and there's a perfectly good distribution platform for them there, free, that they have complete control over. It's making these executives at studios go, oh, well, what are, how, do we, how do we control this? And the answer is they don't. They control, you know, five or six massive releases, and then everyone else is just making awesome horror films, awesome little comedies, awesome little indie dramas, awesome... I've seen so much good, like super low budget sci-fi recently. It's um, it's really exciting, and that's a result of the crapness of studios yeah. meeting meeting more forthright artists who actually just say, "No, do you know what? I, I'm free to make what I want to make." And and yeah, it's really exciting. 
It is really exciting, and it leads on to sort of what probably needs to be my last question, considering we've been talking so long. I'm sorry I've kept you up so late, dude. But the, um, <laughs> uh, the, the last question, sort of what happens now uh, with the trap? If this conversation that we've had and if the conversation Jim and I have had about the movie have inspired my listeners to kind of one day seek it out when it's available, what, what are the next steps? I know it's currently in festivals. Well, do you know what? There's, maybe you can help us with this, because there's a kind of esoteric thing as to what happens next with the trap. We had a screening, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a screening a couple of uh, months ago in London where it, it, was, it was, for me, a terrifying screening. There weren't any laughs at any point during the screening. And I came down and chatted to a couple of uh, potential distributors who had come to that screening thinking, oh, my God, they're going to be, I mean, they're going to be so unimpressed with this. And they said, yeah, it was a really good horror film. As far as they were concerned, because of the audience's reaction or lack of it, it wasn't a comedy at all. It was a horror. And funnily enough, the website lovehorror.co.uk gave us a review that said, these guys could make a really good horror if they put their minds to it, but but just lose all this uh, unnecessary comedy stuff, yeah? Yeah. Um, which is which is an amazing interpretation of a horror comedy, um, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, we had a, a, another screening the very next night after that kind of silent horror screening of the trap, um, where I think there was just one guy who'd maybe had a drink and, and, and was keen on laughing from the very start of the film, and it turned into this riotous comedy screening where everyone was laughing and laughing and laughing. So we have been told that doing a horror comedy is 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 a nightmare because horror fans don't necessarily want to watch a comedy film and comedy fans aren't necessarily horror fans. I personally do not believe that at all. No. So we are trying to market the film. The 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 the, the, the um there's no studio pressure on us, but we we you know we've been talking to some kind of distributors who are subsidiaries of subsidiaries of the subsidiary of like Warner Brothers. You know what I mean? Like like yeah, yeah, yeah. tiny little companies that that are somehow related to their their great grandfather companies that that are these massive conglomerates, and they're all saying this is either a horror or a comedy, um, not both. And and when it comes to kind of marketing the thing, we've been told that you know. Because there's a, there's a mention that the treasure in the trap is is Nazi gold, it's buried Nazi treasure. We've been told that if we have a swastika on our poster or our DVD labels, that's going to make make us much more popular um, with with horror fans. Because apparently horror fans love a swastika on on a. Jesus, that's bleak. <laughs> that I know, I know, really I know. Right. So, so okay, right. So so the question we're kind of trying to answer at the moment is. Also, may I just point out as well, utterly fucking ridiculous considering the last horrors that had, like, Nazis involved in them or some form of Nazis in them were all horror comedies. Every single right. one of them. Right. The two, uh, were they Red or Dead or whatever it was called? No, what was it called? Dead Snow. And it's, Dead Snow, uh, it's, and then you had the Mars one. Uh, one uh, Nazis on the moon or whatever it was called. Iron Sky, Iron Sky. Iron Sky, and then you yeah. even had, like, even wasn't, like, Frankenstein's Army, or, I mean, maybe that wasn't Nazis, but it was certainly, like, a German horror comedy thing going on with <laughs> right. it. Like, yeah, right. it, it, 
you can't have Nazis in a movie these days seriously. I mean, it doesn't like even <laughs> even Kung Fury has like fucking Hitler as its bad guy. Like it's they're just it's comical now. So that to me, like that to me, while they while they probably know their audience way better than I I know the audience. But to my way of thinking and looking at the movies that I see play on Netflix or straight on demand or the movies that I get sent screamers, screeners for or whatever it is. Putting a swastika on it doesn't necessarily make it more horrific or better. It really doesn't. <laughs> and it also doesn't imply that there's no comedy in it. If anything, I think it implies comedy from the outset. Oh, good. Well, that's good to know. That's very interesting. Um, I, I think, I think um, it, we, we've got a few more festivals to go to. Um, we are going to horror festivals um, uh, and, and a couple of comedy festivals, but it's mostly horror festivals. And I, I'm hoping that we're going to a fright night uh, in uh, oh no Louisville, I think it is in Tennessee. Oh yeah, um, no, I know that. I know that. Con- I've never been, but I know that convention well. It's a it's a famous horror convention. Yeah. Oh sweet. Oh well. I mean, uh, yeah. We're we're, we're going to be screened at that. <laughs> um, so if you're there, um, uh, listeners in Alaska. Um, can go to the Machetants, uh, uh, a film festival because we're on there. Um, we're we're going to be around at like little horror film festivals. So if you if you if you live near a place where there, there's a big horror film festival, um, we're called the Trap, and 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 people should go and see us there. That's going to be basically for the next uh, nine months. If we can get screened at, at little festivals or even burgeoning festivals where where a few people get to see our movie and enjoy it then that that would be that would be a dream come true for me already we then went off on a conversation about sort of various distribution methods and especially the internet and what's available out there uh coming around to sort of talking about doing rentals on vimeo or youtube or amazon and and things like that, just sort of charging so sort of two ninety nine or uh, to rent something, or maybe just sort of eight ninety nine to to buy. And then we got got round to the conversation you're, you're about to hear. But I think the best the best argument for giving money to independent filmmakers when you watch their films is if you if you enjoy it, they will use the money you give them to make more of that stuff. Right, completely. Um, and it, not only that, but also I think, like you were saying, there's some truth to it. If you pay for something, not only do you feel it's worth, but also you're more likely to stick with it. And and actually, I think in the in the case of the trap, um, the full success of the movie and the full uh, strength of the plotting and the strength of the acting and the strength of the running gags and so on is in watching the whole thing. I think if you just, and, you know, no offense or anything, but, like, I think if someone just watched the first five or ten minutes, um, they wouldn't get the satisfaction that Jim and I got from watching the whole thing. You know what I mean? That's that's both... I guess that is kind of a double-edged sword. You're kind of complimenting me with that, but, yeah. No, and uh, I only mean it as a critic. I don't necessarily... As anyone who has succeeded in making a feature film you've already succeeded where a billion people have failed so don't like <laughs> that 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 it wasn't all i just mean is the stronger part of it is once they get <laughs> to the warehouse and well, i, I think, think that's, that's probably oh yeah absolutely and right. i think i think this is this is the thing as a, as a horror uh, as a horror fan but also you know I, i'm a big fan of uh buffy the vampire the tv show i i, I like a i like a teaser i like a pre-credits um 
here's something that's a little bit scary that's just going to whet your appetite as to what's going to be coming up. Um, and, 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 and in that sense, yeah, the first, the first 10 minutes of our film is very traditional in that sense. There's not a huge amount of gags in that opening scene. It's just set up to be kind of... I had a couple of really nice... What, what I thought in my head were really nice um, visual tricks with the, with the flash photography thing going on. Um, I thought, oh, that'd be quite a cool thing to to to, to oh. scare an audience with potentially at the start of a movie. Um, no, that that <laughs> opening, that very opening sequence is uh, superb. That that uh, the, oh, the, the the very the sort of the pre credit sequence. Um, it was the the what I meant more was that the establishing of the two main characters or two main groups once the story gets going. Oh um, yeah, that it, does uh, take, it takes a while. You kind of want them. It's a weird thing if you if yeah second time anyone watches the movie they're like my god it takes them so long to get into the building yeah, and it's not what you want as a as a horror movie watcher you kind of go well I know they're going to get picked off one by one and I know that's not going to happen until they get into this building and I appreciate that you're doing some character work for us so that we maybe give a little bit of a shit about the characters but frankly yeah it was it was a dangerous thing and, and a careful thing to get in the edit because obviously like you say if people walked out. After half an hour, even I think they'd be they'd be like, "Well, that film was terrible. Nothing, literally, nothing happened." Um, oh no! I mean, I, I just I just meant that so much from that setup pays off and and is improved upon throughout the the movie that I think paying for it and sitting with it and enjoying it uh, and watching the whole thing and then being able to step back and look at the whole thing is and this doesn't just go for the trap. This goes for for any movie like there's so many movies i have to review on blu-ray or dvd or screeners i get sent or whatever it is that like mm. if i if i did the 10 minute test they wouldn't survive <laughs> you know right. what i mean yeah, um, yeah, sure. and yet when you get through 90 minutes of it you step back and you go no actually okay so this was all putting this together and uh, this was setting it up and actually it was nice that you know by the time we get to um Later in the movie, that that you do care about the characters, or that there are even characters to to root for, or whatever it is. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, right. And there's so there's loads of films even that have that 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 single. There's even like one shot right at the end of the movie that can reveal so much about the story or characters and things like that. And there's, there's yeah, it's five seconds at the end of a movie that made the previous ninety minutes completely change in your mind and therefore become worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, so I think that there is something to be said for. I think the problem with free, the problem with for me with free stuff is I go, oh, I'll I'll go back to it. Like a web series is the prime example. I know three or four web series that I know I would love if I had a five hours to sit down and watch them all. But I mm. watch the first couple of episodes. I go, oh, the production value is great and the acting's great and there's a really good idea here. I'll get back to it because it'll be on YouTube because it'll be there for the next whatever, you know, and then, yeah, right. uh, and then, you know, suddenly you're getting an email and it's like, Oh, we're in our sixth season. And you're like, fuck, I have to, <laughs> you know? So, um, I think if you pay for something, your tendency is to stick it out. And, and I don't mean that in a sense that films need to sometimes be stuck out with. I just mean the, the mindset, the mentality. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, whatever you do with it, um, I obviously hope you, uh, wish you every success. I think that there should be, um, you should bundle it together with everything else you've done and do like some mad Fergus March box set would be incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh cause I would certainly buy it. Um, but no, sir, uh, congratulations, uh, on the film. 
And, Thank you so uh, much. So so nice. It's really kind about it. Thank you. Uh, I will I will give most things a benefit of the doubt because it it is like I say if you make a film that you can sit and watch for 90 minutes or 75 minutes or whatever it is from start to finish, you and it's coherent and there's characters and actors and special effects and sound and music and all the rest of it, you have succeeded where 95% of independent filmmakers have, have failed. Um, it's, that's just the case. So I will always give... And then there's budgetary and then there was timing constraints. And you know what, can I, can I make a really things. weird analogy? Sure, Did go you- ahead then. Did you ever listen to Tenacious D? Yeah. So when when it was just the two of them, not on the albums they tended to have bands, backing bands playing with them, but when it was just the two of them playing live, you could see that it was two guys with two acoustic guitars and they were playing in such a way with enough exuberance that the audience filled in the gaps where drums and bass and distorted guitar solos would be. Definitely, yeah. Right? I think a similar thing happens with, with low-budget and independent movies where a, a filmmaker has an imagination that you know exactly what they have in their mind and you as an audience member can jump into that imagination and fill in your own gaps around those kind of budgetary constraints or timing, scheduling constraints, things like that. Um, yeah, if, if, I think if the, if, the, if, if the film is enjoyable enough, it has that exuberance about it, and an audience can. I'm not talking about making concessions, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm talking about filling in those gaps, filling in those budgetary gaps. You know, with our, we we didn't have a huge amount of money to spend on gore, for example. But when so when we have gore, it's 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 a bit sillier, and I think the viewer can kind of go, oh, okay, well, it's not supposed to be. Um, I think that's actually selling it short. I actually thought for an independent film, certainly made the way it was. Um, that your gore effects and certainly your gore ideas were sold <laughs> very well, and I think oh, thanks, um, genuinely because I've I've seen I've seen the ones where they've gone oh we'll just do CGI and and nine times out of ten I fucking hate those oh. um, uh, where they're like oh we're gonna have a head come off but it's gonna be this horrible cartoony shitty thing give me a dummy like a shop dummy head in a bad wig rolling down some stairs with some red fruit coloring any day of the week over some shit in slow motion absolutely yeah and so there's but I, I there was no point where I looked at the 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 special effects and went oh and sort of laughed at them I mean first of all I don't watch movies ironically but but. I, there I, was... know, I didn't even mean I didn't even mean special effects specifically. I think I just kind of meant the the, the tone of the film, the imaginative and well, the imaginary tone of the film. I think um, people, I think you can get used to watching low budget films, and you can you can you can appreciate what was ah oh, no again maybe selling it short. You can appreciate what was meant. Yes, of course, completely, and I, and also I love. I mean, it, it definitely helped me knowing you in the sense that one of the things I got a big kick out of was the silly sense of humor that I think you and I share, but also the love of gore films that I think you and I share. So there, there was definitely that thing um, in me while watching the film. And again, I was able to hearken it back to either making zombie or making changes with you and John or yeah. whatever it was, where I'm like, like it gave me a little bit of a geek 
spasm, like a little happy moment. And so, right. um, and that would be true, to be honest, if I was watching the film and I didn't know the filmmaker, but I, I know the way independent films are put together having been on set. So it, 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 it definitely worked on that aspect and it definitely gave me those little moments where I'm like, oh man, that, they really sold that idea or they really sold that angle or they really sold that set piece or they really sold that the the the, the um, gore effect or whatever it was. So, um, Friends, but also you can, be, you can be as negative as you like in your criticism in the podcast. Now, I, I would be happy <laughs> with those words. Thank you no, so genuine, much, man. It's so genuine. nice. And, and it, you know that that's it's always a thrill. You always want to see the people you uh, like are friendly with and think are very talented uh, succeed. So. Uh, yes, I, I definitely uh, hope you do so, and I hope that uh, distribution goes well for you. And uh, if I can help in any tiny weeny uh, US part, let me know, and I will. You've, you've already done so much. I'll certainly, we'll certainly keep you up to date. Cue the music. If you're a bunch of obnoxious kids or a man in has hit the skids, maybe a thief with a dose of food poisoning, or a master lockpick who is the boss man's ex-fling, and you wanted buried treasure to fall right into your lap, then you just might be in the trap. But ultimately lovely bloke Or a girl who wants to sing But she can't hit a note If you boarded your team Some matching blue boiler suits Cos you're gonna go and rip off Some hidden old Nazi loot And your exterior is hard But inside you're a really soft chap Then you're most likely my friend in the trap Taken the bait, the writing says no, but you just can't wait. And now you're kind of wishing that you had turned up late. But now you're locked in one by one. Here comes your fate. If you're the mentally deranged son of an AWOL soldier, guarding a precious key as you get older and older. If you've wired up a building with elaborate and deadly pranks While the treasure rots away in the vault of some bank And if suddenly your home is overrun And you've really had enough of all of this crap Time to welcome your guests to the trap Welcome guests, come into the trap <laughs> And they've fallen for your scheme, they've taken the bait you warn them with a no, but they just can't wait. Their greedy eyes are too big for their head. So now, one by one, you make sure that they're all dead. Uh, in the trap. Oh, in the trap. Oh, yeah. When you're a lovely chap, but you're in the trap. Trap, Barbara. We're all in the trap, 
to the trap. Oh, it's the trap. Uh-huh. The trap. Mm. The trap. Mm. The trap. Barbara. The trap. It's the trap. It's the trap. It's the trap. It's the trap. All right, enough of all this bollocks. Come on. Stop it now. Stupid. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.